get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. And to know that in a market like San Diego, which in the past has lost players, everyone aside from Tony Gwynn, that they could make him this generation's Tony Gwynn, they left it the opportunity to do that. What a contract, what a deal, what a story. Last night it comes out that the San Diego Padres have officially signed their star shortstop, Fernando Tatis Jr., to a 14-year $340 million contract. The likes of which we have never seen in the majors before. It's the third largest contract in terms of total value in the history of the league. It is the longest contract in terms of number of years in the history of the league. And Fernando Tatis Jr. just became the youngest player to get a $300 million deal. The San Diego Padres, how about this? are the first team to themselves give out multiple $300 million deals. The Yankees have two of them right now, but Stanton's came from the Marlins, not from New York. I loved this when I found out about it last night. I think it is great for baseball. It is great for the Padres. Alex Ferrario, how are you doing today? What do you think of the news? Doing fantastic. The only thing I could think of last night, fellas, when I saw this come out was the way that White Sox fans have to be feeling right now. Like you talk about a a kick to the gonads and then maybe a stomp on the face. That's what this has been. The the ever enjoyable bar down on Twitter, which I follow, put out the pictures of Tatis Jr. in a White Sox uniform as a rookie, a picture of the tweet of the trade that sent Tatis Jr. and another player, which let's be honest, don't care about that other player because it was Tatis Jr. to the Padres for James Shields. And then a picture of James Shields watching a ball go out of the ballpark, basically in a White Sox uniform. So felt bad for them. But man, this is awesome for baseball. And I've seen a lot of people comment on it saying, oh, well, he's going to a California based team, probably the third best team in California in terms of interest with the Angels and then with the Dodgers. I don't agree with any of that. Frankly, in my opinion, the Padres just put themselves on the same map or higher of interest of the Dodgers. Dodgers have that interest for World Series contention. You cannot argue, though, in terms of interest in players that the Padres have those guys. Now, you have Blake Snell, who people love to talk about. You have Manny Machado. You have Fernando Tatis Jr. I mean, that's three guys right there that when you say the name to a common person, I don't know if Snell has the Q rating that you're thinking. Really? Y- no. Get me my I, money, bro. I, I would say he does. My, my, my girl, my, my fiance has no idea who Blake Snell is. Yeah. No idea. The, the, the casual, I'm going to watch 15 games a year. They, they, they don't know who Blake Snell is. Fernando Tatis Jr. is starting to get that Q rating. Manny Machado, I think, certainly is starting to get that Q rating. But like Clayton Kershaw. 
My fiance knows who Clayton Kershaw is and knows him well, despite the fact that she couldn't care less about the Dodgers. They, they've got some guys on their team that maybe stand out a little bit more from that perspective. But that is not to take away from anything of the story mm-hmm. that we saw last night. I am stunned at the amount of criticism that we have seen for this deal this morning. It's, it's coming from all walks of the Internet, all different places within the baseball analyst community. I can't believe it. There are people that are actually arguing against a small market team doing the thing that I thought we were all rooting for, which is re-signing their young superstar transcendent talents to keep them in that uniform for the long term. I saw this from Himbo from ESPN. You probably see him if you watch Get Up or um, Mike Greenberg's radio show. Said Fernando Tatis Jr. playing the next 14 years in the country uh, in the country's 27th biggest media market is an objectively bad thing for baseball. That's lunacy. The Padres are now going to be now that they've done this one of the most important teams in baseball. To your point, Alex, over the next five plus years. Maybe this goes poorly for them. Maybe year 10 through 14 of this deal are awful. I don't care. You just re-signed your young superstar, the guy that if you were drafting the entire league today, he would probably go number one in a redraft of the league because he's 22 years old. He has an OPS over 100, OPS plus over 140 in his first two seasons in Major League Baseball. That guy, that's the guy I'm re-signing long-term. I applaud the San Diego Padres for what they did last night. can't be upset about 10 to 14 years in that contract, the 10 to 14 range. I mean, he's going to be 32 years old. Most guys, that's still the prime of their career. Like, 35 is when you start questioning. So a guy like Fernando Tatis Jr., it's not going to change. Now, the part that I can understand people being hesitant about is, I, I guess, paying a player who has only shown it for a couple of seasons. I get that argument, but from what Tatis Jr. has shown you, it's not a flash in the pan. This is more of a, this has been a superstar that nobody has talked a lot enough about, and he's finally broken onto the, the scene. And it doesn't matter that this is a 27th media market. What do we talk about so much now in pro sports? Guys not staying with their team, mm-hmm. right? Everyone wanting out. Well, Tatis Jr. not only locked in to this team for 14 years, but they've also put the committee around him to give this guy a championship window for the next five to 10 years. Look, I, I agree that this is a great deal for baseball because I want to see your smaller market teams keep their stars. I think it's ridiculous that Cleveland should have moved on, had to move on from Lindor, basically. Decided to. Didn't have to. Well, they didn't ahead. have to, but it, was, it kind of felt like they did. Uh, I... I don't understand. I understand why they did it. I would not have done it personally if I was the GM in San Diego because there's he hasn't even played 162 games. And look, yes, I agree. It's not just a flash in the pan. He is going to be a great player. But you have him on cost-controlled. He hasn't even hit arbitration yet. And I understand the argument of, well, it's going to get more expensive the longer you wait. That's fine. If you're going to be willing to hand him the money now, you're going to be willing to hand him the money later, in my opinion. I To me, it's too long a deal without us knowing exactly what he could be because it the takes one injury. Is, the uncertainty is why he got this deal. If you wait, and I know you say you're willing to give him whatever. I mean, the next four years, Fernando Tatis Jr. is going to make $34 million. It's nothing. Like th- th- That is what you're getting for Paul DeYoung. They're basically going to make the same amount of money over the next four seasons. $8 million per year. You essentially, what you really did here 
is gave him a 10-year, $300 million contract that begins five years from now. Five years from now, I can tell you, if Fernando Tatis Jr., what we've seen is real, is going to get significantly more than 10 years and $300 million on the open market. I agree. And the AAV is not really the big thing for me. It's just the amount of years that you gave him, 14 years. There's a lot. And really, the thing that really surprised me, the full no trade clause, to me, that's huge. Because if he struggles and he does get hurt and it just takes one injury, maybe it's a foot injury that ends up sideline. Maybe it's the second or third year he hurts his foot and then he's never the same player. We've got him for 11 years. Again, the $30 million doesn't concern me as much, but you've got a guy that could be struggling for 11 years and you can't move him because he's got a full na- no trade clause. Yeah. And that's why I don't understand it. I I would be down to hand him a seven-year contract. Well, why would he sign it? That, well, if that's I'm the Fernando thing. If I'm Fernando Tatis know, Jr., I'm not I, signing that contract. I'm not, I know you're not signing that, but I've got you under arbitration. I'm going to just pay. We're going to go through the system, and then we, if we can't work something out, okay, that's fine. Then you, lose, got you lose a generational talent, and I, I now you're no that. longer a contender anymore. I, well, I don't know if I'd say that much because I don't know what else we're going to have come to the club. We've got a lot of pieces already. I just would not hand out a 14-year contract to a guy that hasn't played 162 games when there's so much. Again, I I don't think it's a flash in the pan, but the uncertainty that could go forward in the next 14 years scares me enough to where I'd say I'm not giving you a 14-year contract. Yeah, but you're betting on the player. And I, I know teams don't do that, but you're betting on a player who has shown you superstardom in two years, which, look, for most guys in the first two years of their big leagues, it's great, and then it falls off. Fernando Tatis Jr. just kept getting better. And for me, this is 14 years of saying, look, we want to win a World Series with you. We want you to be the face of the franchise. But it's more of putting San Diego on the map in baseball saying, this is our guy. When you think Fernando Tatis Jr., because right now, who are the guys you think of when you talk baseball? Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, Clayton Kershaw. Well, right now, Fernando Tatis Jr. is in those top five. I just feel like you went all in before you've even seen the flop. If that makes sense. Well, yeah. Sometimes you got to go in before you see the flop. Otherwise, you get people out. It's right? a bet. It's a big bet. And if you're wrong, it's going to hurt real bad. It is. The, the, the possibility that this goes south for the San Diego Padres is absolutely there. And also, if it goes right, you just locked yourself into contention for the next decade. Like that, that is what happened here. The, what very well may have just taken place is that the Padres just signed the best player in the sport for the next 14 years. Like th- Think about that. That has to be under consideration as well. They might have just taken a generational talent and locked him into playing in San Diego for the next 14 years. If I'm a Padres fan this morning, I wake up thrilled, absolutely thrilled that my guy, my guy that I never get to see play his entire career in San Diego if, if this goes the way that they think it will, he's going to be going into the Hall of Fame wearing a Padres uniform, and he is going to be the next Tony Gwynn of that city. That is really, really meaningful. And in a sport that doesn't allow it to happen enough, where these smaller market teams become farm farm clubs for the Yankees and the Mets and the Cardinals and the Dodgers, the Padres are saying no more for us. We're actually stepping our foot down and we are going to play with the big, big boys. Now we've got a seat at the table. To go back to your poker term, Tanner, of basically going all in before the flop. If you got pocket aces, you're going to do that because you don't want somebody to take advantage when they have the, the flop. But I don't think I have pocket aces. I think oh, I have yeah. an ace and a two. No, because there's he hasn't played 162 games yet. Did you say the same thing about Mike Trout in his first 162 games? Well, I I wouldn't have signed him to a 14-year contract. Oh, I would have. 
I would have locked would him up immediately. Said, There's I, certain players right me, now in Major League Baseball just it's just that such you a, know. To me, it's just such a small sample size, and anything can happen. And, He's only played a year and a half. And granted, he could have had a full season. He was hurt in his rookie year, I believe. I think he got hurt late, which mm-hmm. cost him some games. But to me, there's so many adjustments Major League Baseball can still make. Those are the best pitchers in the world, and they're going to adjust to him now that they've got more and more film going on. If Trout, I agreed with the Trout extension when it happened for his first, uh, with his contract now, because he had a track record. What did we talk about with Bennington yesterday? There's not enough of a track record to give him the most money. There's not enough track record, in my opinion, to give Fernando Tatis 14 years with a full no-trade goal. But you've got a rookie of the year for a guy. you got a guy who's been in consideration for MVP. If you had the first year of Albert Pujols when he was 21, he played 161 games, 37 home runs, and 130 RBIs, I'm locking that guy into a 14-year deal right now because I know in one season, 162 games, that this guy went out there and put it all out there. That's not a flash in the pan. You... Sorry, because I, I agree. It's not a flash in the pan, but to me, it's just so much risk of what could happen within the next 14 years for a guy that only has a year and a half. I understand. Not a flash in the pan. Really good player. I'm not trying to take away from his ability. It's just, to me, maybe I'm just a Karen, but it, 14 years, there's a lot that's going to happen for a guy what that's only been around been for a year okay and with? a half. If they announced last night, we've got an extension with Fernando Tatis Jr., and I don't care the money is going to be $30 million per year. That That's what the extension part of this is. And over the first four years, going to get $35 million. So how many years after the first four would you have been okay with them extending him for? I'd say... What, what is too much? I think seven is where I cut it off. And, and I understand he's never no going to sign he it. would ever sign well, that then deal. Let's go through arbitration. Again, so I will would, hand... If, he, if in three years he's healthy and doing what he's doing, I don't know when he starts arbitration. I think it's another year before i think yeah, i think two years two years then i've got five years of team control i will wait and see what you do and then maybe in another two years if he's still playing what he is then i can go into the 14-year yeah, conversation but that's going all in before you see the flop because if you go to arbitration and this guy just continues to get better you're talking more money you're talking 400 500 million dollars yep. to lock him up so i would wait until before arbitration then he still has two years before the, his first year of arbitration then I would be in the conversation of, okay, let's work out this 14-year yeah, contract. We know how that goes, though. Then he's going to come to you and mm-hmm. say, I'm not signing. Yeah. I'll wait until I get to free agency. I'll get paid in arbitration. And now you're going to go ahead and bid against all of the other big boys out there. And he's not staying in San Diego. Like that That's what happens. Mm-hmm. You, you either get this done early and you overpay possibly. I don't agree that risk. he's not staying in San Diego because how the, how the hell do they lure Manny Machado there then? They gave him, him the contract, and he was a free agent. Yeah, ten years and three hundred million dollars okay, is how you do it. Then I think you would do. You could do the same for Tatis, and I would argue Tatis's bet will be better when he hits free agency than when Machado does. An extra ten million dollars yeah. per season. You're talking I understand that, but I want to see more proof of what he becomes before giving him a long We're contract. We're talking in circles now. It's eleven seventeen. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We've got a lot to get into today. Mike Kelly is a hockey analyst for the NHL Network. He's going to join us coming up at eleven thirty. Coming up next. Mike Schilt is pretty darn definitive about what Matt Carpenter's role is this year. Leadoff hitter. And what it is not. So we'll tell you about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
questions as to where Matt Carpenter is going to be playing in 2021. There is at least one definitive answer as to where he will not be playing in 2021. Mike Schilt had his press conference earlier this morning. He was asked about Matt Carpenter. Hey, could, could he get some outfield opportunities? Here's what Mike Schilt had to say. Yeah, I think you're making up stuff about the corner outfield spot. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he'll get some DH opportunity. He'll get some at-bats there. He'll play some third base. He'll play some first base. And he'll clearly also play and get some opportunity to play some second base as well. But I don't I don't anticipate him, you know, journeying to the outfield. He would and he could, but I don't – it's not any internal dialogue that that would be a possibility. In other words, no. He's not playing in the outfield. Not for me. Not now. Not ever. Throwing some shade at the beginning of that. That could change. We talked about this with Danny Mack a little bit earlier. It, if you get to June and you've got Tyler O'Neill, Lane Thomas, Justin Williams, none of those three are hitting. Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe you start seeing some opportunities, but I think it is more likely that Tommy Ed, Edmond at that point would be moved to the outfield and Carpenter maybe slides in at, at second than it would be that Carpenter is getting opportunities out there. Either way, it seems pretty clear from those statements by Mike Schilt this is not something that the Cardinals are considering early in the season. Right, and look, this all started basically when we had Mike Claiborne on who said that this is an area that you could see Matt Carpenter, and I still believe you could see it at some point, but it's worst-case scenario for the Cardinals if Matt Carpenter plays there. I mean, it's the same thing basically with Jose Martinez, and I heard Danny Mack make that comp earlier today. Jose Martinez being shifted to first base because they needed that bat in the lineup that's the only way you see Matt Carpenter playing an outfield position is if his bat basically puts this team in the position where you have to have him in the batting order. But he is so far down on the depth chart. And frankly, I heard uh, Mo talk a little bit about Nolan Gorman earlier today. Second base might be out of the option. Now, at least for the early portion of the season, it's Matt Carpenter's. But if Gorman continues to progress, you could see him at second base. So really, Matt Carpenter is the spell you at first, spell you at third, DH if we have it, or an injury pops up. That's his role. Yeah, Carpenter's kind of your, it's him and Edmundo Sosa right now that appear to be the utility infielders for this team. Carpenter batting from the left side, Sosa from the right, and that's kind of how you're going to go throughout at least the start of the season. You mentioned Nolan Gorman, and you mentioned the quote from John Mosaylock. Let's take a listen to this because Gorman apparently asked to come to spring training early so that way he could work on other positions. Here's what John Mosaylock had to say about that. In Nolan's case, he's going to uh, get some opportunities to play second base, uh, maybe get some work in the outfield as well. But, I mean, initial reaction of seeing him even uh, at second base has been really encouraging. Now, only had a short couple looks over the last two days, but, you know, net-net, I think uh, he looks really good um, from a physical standpoint looks flexible, looks like he's moving well. And so I think uh, everything he did this past offseason to prepare has actually put him in a pretty good spot to, to show some versatility as he enters his camp. One thing that I find really intriguing about the Cardinals going into this year is how many internal options they want to exhaust before they decide to go out and find out what's out there elsewhere. So what I mean by that is you look at the outfields, right? Mm-hmm. They have finally given themselves a true opportunity to learn what you have in Dylan Carlson and Harrison Bader. And you can even kind of put Bader to the side in this conversation, but Tyler O'Neill, Lane Thomas, Justin Williams, let's find out what those guys are the first couple of months of the season. If you find out that you like what you have, well, you don't need to learn anything more. You just stick with that. If you don't, if those guys don't end up hitting, well, you have internal options as well. You could see Tommy Edmond maybe playing a little bit in the outfield and maybe instead of Matt Carpenter, 
Maybe it's Nolan Gorman that gets some opportunities at second base for you then. Maybe he slides into the outfield and Tommy Edmonds sticks at second. You've got some internal options. So by the time you get to that July 31st trade deadline, the Cardinals are going to know what their internal options are. And they're good enough. They've got enough of them that they should still be in contention regardless of what the answers are. And then once you get to that deadline, now I know, okay, Corner outfield spot's probably one we need to upgrade. Let's go find somebody to help us out there. Or, hey, you know, the back end of our rotation, we're we're a little leaky there. Let's find a guy that can fit in there for us. They've got so many of these guys internally that I I think they're in a pretty good spot to be able to find out over the first few months. What exactly is this team right now? Yeah, and as much as we've changed our tone of this is a transition year to this is a year that they can compete for the World Series, you still are evaluating areas. And I think that's what's beneficial for the Cardinals because you do have 60 plus million dollars coming off of the books after this season. Now I know our Arenado's money basically comes into play there, but the Cardinals are in position to upgrade areas that are weak. But for right now, you should evaluate what you have. Frankly, I love the idea that Nolan Gorman is saying, Hey, I want to get to training camp early. I want to work with Okendo and stubby clap. This guy wants to make the big league ball club right now, guys. And I understand he's still, what, 20 years old, 19 years old. It's not like it's going to be happening this season, but he's a power bat. He's a guy who, you know, defensively, he's never been anything to, you know, bug your eyes out at, but he's still a guy that can change a ball club. So the fact that this guy's wanting to get to camp, wanting to go out there and say, hey, look, I can do second base. I can do first base. I can do outfield if you want me to. That gets these guys excited, which is beneficial for the Cardinals to have all of that depth. Yeah, you're hearing and seeing all of the right things. Anything you could possibly want to hear or see. And by the way, yesterday, one thing that is noteworthy that we didn't hear, no injuries. Knock on wood, fingers crossed it stays that way. But typically what happens is you get to camp, they go through their physicals, they all report. And then that same day you hear from Mo, yeah, well, you know, (laughs) a little bit of a forearm popped up. He opened up his press conference today and he said he's got a statement to make before he takes questions. And I'm like, oh, here we go. Who's out? (laughs) Who is it? And luckily he said that it was just a matter of report times and a couple of work visa issues. But yeah, 100% health. That's a big deal at this time of spring, a training it's camp. It's huge. It's absolutely huge. So that that is something that you wanted to hear if you're a Cardinals fan. That's been in a positive. And then Nolan Arenado getting down there early is a great thing to mm-hmm. hear. Nolan Gorman getting down there early to work on other positions is awesome. That shows you how motivated he is to be able to help this club in one way or another. We talked to John Nagowski earlier today. If you missed that conversation It's available on 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. He also told us he's been working a lot in the outfield leading into this upcoming year. That's a guy who, given his profile as a player that does not strike out, walks a ton, has a really great contact rate. If he's passable defensively in the outfield, I wouldn't be surprised if after the five guys that we think that are going to be on the opening day roster, Bader, Carlson, O'Neal, Thomas, and Williams... It's in play that the next guy up in that mix would actually be John Nagowski, who could come in and fill in in the outfield as needed and also serve a role as a pinch hitter late in games. That, that is something that is worth considering as well. He, he might be new, ahead of Austin Dean. Is he our new Ron Hell Ravello? Oh, he's been my Ron Hell Ravello. I know. Is he, is he my new Ron Hell Ravello? Do I jump on board with this? I mean, oh. I thought I was when the Nog father was on our show. but So your hit rate is about 50-50 right now. That's you, true. You, you jumped on the Ravello train. Okay, that, but give me that some leniency. never really left the station. I don't know if it should ever be 50-50. I, like, I'm always 70-30 now because of Arenado. Milsey worked out for Milsey you. Milsey did work out. 
until it crashed and went tragically off of the tracks. We don't talk about that, BK. But it did work out for you for a while. I don't know if I want you on the John Nagowski train. I'll stay away from this. Don't bring him up. He's terrible. We are slowly tragging along here, and it feels pretty good right now to be uh, in the middle. I'm the conductor of this train, and I I can't decide if I want you to be a passenger or not. I'll stay back. I'll rob the train if I have to later on, but I'll stay back. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, Mike Kelly. Analyst for NHL Network. He does a lot of their analytics work. Want to talk to him about what he's seen from this defensive course so far, and also what's he think of Jordan Bennington? There's a lot of talk of him potentially signing an extension. We'll talk about that with Mike Kelly of NHL Network next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Happy to be joined by hockey analyst for NHL Network. He specializes in analytics breakdowns over there. He is Mike Kelly joining us here on the show. Mike, sincerely appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? What's up, guys? My pleasure. I'm doing great. How are you? Uh, doing very well. So let's start with kind of the analytics darling so far this year for the Blues. That is the defensive pairing of Tory Krug and Justin Falk. I know you had the stat the other night. This has since, unfortunately, no longer uh, been proven true. However, at we don't that blame point you. in time, uh, the Blues defensive pairing of Krug and Falk was the only deep pairing in the NHL to play at least 100 minutes on five on five and to not allow a goal against. What have you seen from these two? What have, what have they done so well? Well, I mean, this is, this is a couple offensive guys, right? Here they are. They're playing defense uh, as well as any pairing in the league at that point. Oh, yeah, that was about a week ago. I think we did that segment. And um, like you said, 100-plus minutes, no goals against. I think they had nine goals for uh, really good. And you look at them right now, even still, um, still very good where they're at. They're 11 goals for, three against, and about 145 minutes. So um, there's only one deep pairing that's played over 100 and allowed less, and that's Lindgren and Fox in New York. So they're still keeping really good company, even though they've had a couple go in against them. Um, maybe get down to like the process related stuff, expected goals for and against the chances you're giving up. Is it just all this great goaltending that's is doing it or not? And, and that looks really good um, up at about 60% of the expected goals while they're on the ice in St. Louis's favor. So everything checks out with this pairing. And I think they've got a really good mix of a few kind of key elements. I mean, they can obviously move the puck really well and skate and that helps you getting it out of your own end and not spending a lot of time in your end. St. Louis, as you guys know, really good team getting the puck in the offensive zone and keeping it there, cycling, winning battles. Again, you're not spending time in your own end. Um, and, and Falk plays with a physical presence. He can separate guys from the puck with his body. Tory Krug, like I say, you know, really good puck mover. And I think Falk's a bit of an underrated puck mover also. So um, I, I'll be honest, I didn't really see these kind of results coming from these two guys, uh, especially considering we're talking about a new pairing right off the hop. But when you look at all the things they bring to the table and how well they played together and they play with good forward lines as well. Um, something to really be happy about in St. Louis, obviously when you consider as well, that there was uh, 
a pretty decent defenseman who made his way out of the organization uh, last after last season also. You know, Mikey, you mentioned uh, the, the Blues' strength and specialty is getting the puck in the offensive zone and cycling it. Now, I don't know if you've dove into this analytically or paid attention to this at all up to this point, but the Blues have been struggling, and maybe it was just because they were against Arizona, but they were struggling with getting the puck out of their own zone, and that was supposed to be a specialty this season with the addition of Tory Krug and Justin Falk's specialty. Have you seen a little bit of that from St. Louis on this end of just not being able to get the puck out of their zone as, as smoothly as they would like? Uh, they, they are spending a little bit more time in their own end than they did last year. And, and, and last year they were such a dominant team in terms of kind of having it in the ozone and not spending too much time in their own end. Um, it, it'd be tough to keep up, you know, how well they did in those areas, I suppose. Uh, still getting a lot of the offensive zone time. But yeah, to your point, they are spending a little bit more time in their own end. Um, you know, I, I still think they're a very good defensive team. And, and for them any team really, as long as you're keeping pucks out of the middle of the ice, those dangerous quality scoring uh, areas, then it's not going to hurt you too much. Uh, you know, the Islanders are a perfect example of that. They spent a lot of time in their own end, but they, they box out that middle of the ice really well. Um, so I, I don't think it's a huge issue for St. Louis just because they are such a good defensive team and, and Bennington has been good this year. Um, but to your point, yeah, they, they have been this season. They're, they're kind of league average in terms of the amount of time they spend in their own end versus last year when uh, they were one of the better teams in that area. Mike Jordan Bennington, you mentioned his name there, and he's been a topic of conversation lately here in St. Louis. We're now about getting closer to a third of the way through the season. Bennington is in year three here in St. Louis, and people are ready to go ahead and get the extension talks <laughs> going. What, what can you tell us about what the numbers tell you about what we've seen thus far from Jordan Bennington? He's been good. Um, you know, when it comes to goaltending, I think that traditional kind of statistics and measures really leave a lot on the table. If you look at things like goals against average, which is, you know, heavily a team statistic, uh, even save percentage, which doesn't factor in what kind of shots you're facing. It just tells you how many shots you're stopping. But if you are a goaltender on a really good defensive team or a goalie on a really bad defensive team, you're not facing the same kind of shots. It might be 30 against each way hypothetically, but there might be 20 dangerous ones on one team and five on the other. So I go a little beyond that and look at uh, an expected goals model based on the type of shots you're facing, where they're coming from, what the pre-shot movement is, uh, and the quality of those shots, as well as how many you're facing, to then see kind of what a goalie should be allowing versus what he's actually letting in. And when I look at Jordan Bennington, um, you know, he's been good this year. He's been saving his team goals as opposed to costing his team goals, which is what you want out of your goalie. Um, got him ranked 16th in the league um, out of the 54 goalies that, that uh, met my minimum time on ice requirement for this. So uh, overall, he's been fine. Last year he was good. I mean, he won a Stanley Cup. Um, proven to be a good goaltender. I know it's a, a bit of a different situation in terms of how he developed and came into the league, but uh, everything I see, even playing behind a typically strong St. Louis defensive team, he's still playing above um, the level that we would expect of, of a goalie in that situation. Mike, uh, Blues are coming off of the loss on Monday, which was a shutout to Darcy Kemper in Arizona, a team that really gave that Blues team some fits. But offensively, starting to build some steam. I think they had 12 goals in three games leading into Monday afternoon's matchup. Offensively for this team, because of the injuries that they've gone through, is this an above-average team that people should be talking more about when it comes to scoring goals and the ability to create offense? 
When it comes to scoring goals, I'd say, yeah, I think they've done a good job of that. When it comes to kind of that layer underneath of, of the process that goes into it, how many shots, how many quality shots, how many expected goals. Um, I think St. Louis, you know, this season, I shouldn't say I think, I know, uh, has scored a little bit beyond what I would expect uh, at even strength. And, and, you know, the power play is a separate thing here. But um, I, I think they're scoring a little more than, than maybe they should based on what they're creating at even strength. So, uh, again, they've got really dynamic players, obviously. And you, you look at guys like, like Shen, who I think is just wildly underappreciated in the league. Um, Ryan O'Reilly, we know what he is. Jordan Cairo, I mean, you guys want to talk about him. I'm happy to talk about that. Oh, guy. yeah, we'll get there. Yeah, yeah. And and David Perron, like the, the ageless wonder. This guy just I think he gets younger every year. So, um, you know, Hoffman as well uh, with his shot and everything he can do, and, and he'll start filling the net, the, the net at a higher rate, I think, also. Um, but, yeah, I, I'll be honest. I think to this point, in terms of even strength goal scoring, they're, they should be pretty happy with what has gone in the net based on, you know, the types of chances they're creating. Mike, let's do it. What do you got on Jordan Cairo? <laughs> Oh, this guy is buzzing. I, I love watching this kid. He's so fast. And, like, I think about that one play against Arizona where he beat out the ice and call and, and circled with the puck and set up Falk for that goal. Um, man, he's so much fun to watch. Like, everything that goes into scoring points and, and goals, assists, whatever, um, I, again, I always bring it back to the middle of the ice between the dots, below the circles, that slot area. It's where 75% of goals in the league are scored. That's where you need to go. And he not only gets there, but he sets his teammates up there at a really high rate. So, you know, remember, this is a guy who's playing 14 and a half minutes a night. He doesn't get a ton of ice time. But when you look at things, if you kind of level ice time and look at a per 20-minute rate, how he does, if you level everybody's ice time, again, not a perfect measure, but a way to kind of level things out when you're talking about guys that are playing 22 minutes a night, it's not really equal. He's top 15 in the league in the type of offense he generates, shooting from the slot, passing in the puck there, skating the puck there, putting it in the net, getting assists, all those other things that come with it. Top 15 offensive player in the league when you level that ice time um, and just look at what he does at even strength. So he's been every bit as advertised, I guess, stepping into the lineup here and contributing to this team. He's been a huge player for them. So with that being said, Mike, are we looking at a guy who's just having an important season or are we looking at a guy who's trending in the direction of being a, a top six, maybe a top line winger in the future? That's what I think. Top line, top six, I think absolutely he could be a top six winger um, going forward. Again, when I when you look at the fact that he's got 14 points in 16 games and, and again, only 14 and a half minutes, you say, wow, that's that's impressive. Is that something he can keep up? Um, everything that I look at underneath shows him doing all the things critical to generating offense for your team at a very, very high rate. And that's, that's what I pay more attention to. And I'll, I'll bring up an example of a guy that in the off season, um, I, I was asked to pick a player to watch in the NHL coming up this season on the NHL network. And I picked Carter Verhage. And I'm sure the producers probably looked at me like I had two heads. Like, really? We got a lot of superstars in the league. You want to talk about Carter Verhage? Um, but there was a reason for it. Unbelievable forechecker. Did all these things at that per 20-minute rate I talk about that go into creating offense and being a really good player overall. Did it really, really well and just struck me as a guy that someone give him a chance to play top six minutes and he will be effective for you. Uh, Florida got him for two years, a million bucks per. I'm still shocked that more teams weren't in on this guy. Um, to, to see what he could do in an elevated role. So bring it back to Cairo. When I talk about all these things that are important that go into being a, a, 
a good offensive player in Kyrie's case for sure, but ultimately a good player overall. He's doing all these important things at a really high rate, and that's why I think it's sustainable. Last question that I've got for you on Kyrie. We're talking with Mike Kelly, hockey analyst for NHL Network. You mentioned he's in like that top 15 right now when it comes to if you if you just average everything out per 20 minutes. Can For our audience, if they, they want a little perspective, who are some of those other names that are kind of around him there? What, what's the company that he's keeping in that top 15? So, well, it's superstars, really. Um, if you look at – when I take all these things and, again, just try to simplify it as much as possible, one thing I look at is offense-generating plays. So that's taking uh, quality shots, quality passes, skating the puck into quality areas, just the meaningful offensive traits that encompass a player uh, into one number. And at that per 20 minute rate, he's 12th in the league right now, which is the guy right above him and below him are Crosby and Barkov. And the only guy on St. Louis is better than him is O'Reilly. So he's keeping very good company. When you look at it, uh, uh, even at a per game rate, um, you know, Braden point, Kevin Fiala, these are guys that are, are around him as well. And, Kyrou, as mentioned, doesn't benefit from having additional lights time uh, that some other guys have. So that's the kind of company he's keeping. These are really, really top-end players. And, you know, again, we'll hedge it a little bit here. It's been, what, 15 games? He's played 16 games. So um, we'll, we'll monitor this going forward. But everything to this point, results-wise, process-wise, says he's earning every bit of success that he's had with really elite offensive play. Mike, this is awesome stuff. I got one more quick one before we let you go because I'm curious. You mentioned Mike Hoffman's name a little bit ago. Some people in St. Louis, I think, were expecting to see a little bit more. Of course, you have the anomaly that is a new team. But what have you seen from Mike Hoffman so far this season? In the games I've watched, and I've seen bits and parts of a lot of Blues games. I've watched some, some full ones as well, but but uh, you know, not able to watch every single game front to back. Um, he, he's kind of as advertised. Like he's a guy that that will score in the power play. I know he hasn't scored in the power play yet this season, but the Blues power play really got off to a slow start. Um, you can't keep him down with the shot that he has and the spot that he has on the power play. The fact that he's got five, you know, even strength goals and. In, in 15 games is, is in 10 points to me is, is kind of okay and where he should be around. Um, but, you know, I, I watched him a lot when he was in Ottawa before and in, in Florida as well. And he can go through stretches. Um, and if he's not scoring, you know, he's, he's a fast player. He can affect the game with his speed, but if he's not scoring, um, I, I could understand why some fans might get a little upset here and there uh, if you get into those lulls, but when he is scoring, he will score a lot. So, um, I, I'd say if there's any fans that want to see a bit more out of him, just to be patient with him, he's, he's a, a guy who can change games with his ability. So um, when that power play really gets clicking to where uh, I think ultimately it will, he'll be a part of it and, uh, and he'll be putting some pucks on the back of that. You heard that right there. Be patient. T-shirts available right now on 101ESPN.com. He's Mike Kelly, hockey <laughs> analyst for NHL Network. He's on Twitter at Mike Kelly NHL. Mike, thanks so much for the time, man. Really great stuff, especially on Jordan Kyrou. We'll talk with you again soon, my friend. Anytime, guys. I think be patient is the, the hallmark of fans anywhere, right? <laughs> That's the specialty. So. Especially in St. Louis, Mike. Especially here in St. Louis. <laughs> All right. Cheers, guys. Thanks, Appreciate buddy. you. That's Mike Kelly joining us here on 101 ESPN. I think he thinks that we're joking. No, yeah. seriously, though. But be, be patient. T-shirts available right now. Should we send them one? No, I think they're done. No longer available. Yeah, they're no longer on available. Oh, you just pumped up a shirt that nobody can get anymore. Oh, my gosh. Oh my Nailed gosh. it. <laughs>
65780 is the air comfort service tax line. I am a boarding mission. Questions and answers coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Uh, let's start with the news from the NFL that we haven't been able to get to so far because there's just been so much other stuff going on. The Philadelphia Eagles have agreed to trade Carson Wentz to the Indianapolis Colts. In return, the Eagles will get a 2021 third round pick, so a third rounder in this year's draft, and they're going to get a conditional second round pick in next year's draft. So what has to happen is if Carson Wentz plays at least 75% of the Colts snaps this year, the conditional 2022 second round pick will become a first round pick. So this could end up becoming a first round pick next year and a third round pick this year for Mm. Carson Wentz. If Wentz basically starts for the Colts this year, which should be expected. So that's, that's where we're at with the Carson Wentz trade. What do you think? No real surprise here that the Colts are the teams that the team that landed him with Frank Reich being their head coach. Now he previously was on the Eagles staff when they won the Super Bowl. What do you think of the deal? I think the Eagles are in an interesting situation now because didn't they bring in a guy who was basically supposed to run a system with Carson Wentz? Was a guy who had worked with Wentz in the past, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah, their head coach is the guy that was the quarterback's coach, I believe, yeah. offensive coordinator, Frank Reich. So that's going to be an interesting development. But look, I mean, in terms of what they got for Carson Wentz, Philadelphia's angle, I think it's exactly what you should have expected them to get. I mean, one, Wentz hasn't been great since 2017, and I understand it's been injuries and everything that's gone with it, but it felt like Carson Wentz and Philly were in a situation of whatever you can get for him, get so you can get rid of the money. First round pick is a lot. It, but it's a condition. A- but it's a conditional. That's the thing. As sure. long as Carson Wentz starts for the Colts, though, you're getting that. And he's he's going to start for him. So it, Does it have many if he games? stays healthy. 75%. So 75%. If he, if he starts 12 games for them this year, the Eagles will get a first-round pick in return for yeah, him. Yeah, I, I mean, look, it was destined to happen, and I think it was a matter of getting what you could get. Like, you weren't going to get the Sean Watson territory no, picks I'm, for I'm him. No, I'm surprised they got that much. I didn't yeah. think that they would get a first-round pick for Carson Wentz, who's been if you're Colts, really though, bad for two if years. If you're the Colts, though, that's the best player you could get right now other than Deshaun Watson. And I mean, frankly, it makes them a better team if he stays healthy. And I am shocked kind of like UBK because it looks like it's going to be a first round pick. But granted, Wentz has trouble staying healthy. Mm -hmm. So maybe it will remain a second. I don't know. To me, there's the only shock is just that there's a first round pick involved. Him going to the Colts is no surprise. Now, what it does for the Colts, I'm not quite sure because I think Wentz is not going to return to MVP form. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314 to that point. Do you guys think that Carson Wentz will have a better year this year than Phillip Rivers had last season? Phillip Rivers last year, 4,200 yards passing, 24 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. Do you think we will see a better or worse year this year from Carson Wentz in Indianapolis? With the caveat that he stays healthy, I'd say better because he's going to stay on his feet more. Uh, He's not going to be sacked as many times as he was in Philly. Like that protection is going to be there. Phillip Rivers didn't get sacked very much last year. That wasn't an issue for him. Yeah. Well, no, I'm saying for Carson Wentz because Carson Wentz hasn't oh, been good because he's compared to what he was with the Eagles. So, yeah, I think I think he'll definitely be better, but I don't think he's going to stay healthy. I'm going to say no. I think it's a worse season. I, I just don't have any faith in him bouncing back. I mean, I think he's too shaken up from the injuries and he's too concerned, even though he will have a better offensive line in front of him without a question. I just think he's too... 
I don't know if scared's the right word. He's just too hesitant. I think he's going to make some decisions, and I think he's going to have a worst year in Indianapolis. I think so, too. I think we underrate what Phillip Rivers did for them a year ago. He was he started off a little slow with Indy, especially early on with some of the interceptions. He ended up having a pretty darn good year. 24 touchdowns, 11 picks. That's not bad. And the over 4,000 yards, I think we see a little less than that this season from Carson Wentz. I honestly have no idea what to expect from him. He might be broken. If ever there was a team that could fix him, it's this one because Mm -hmm. he does have that experience with Frank Reich. He knows the system. As you said, it's a great offensive line that he's going to be playing behind. But man, I just have not liked what I've seen the last couple of seasons out of Wentz. And I was the biggest Carson Wentz apologist there was going into last year. So I... I would say under those numbers for him, but I think that that's probably where the over-under should be set. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Uh, Let's go to this one. Guys, do you think that the odds of Nolan Arenado opting out went up with the news of the Fernando Tatis Jr. extension today? Do you think he is more likely today to opt out after the season than he was prior to that extension? No, because... Nolan Arenado's going to be 30 and Fernando Tatis Jr. was 22 when he signs this contract. So no, I Arenado has always wanted to play for a contender. He's going to get paid regardless, but I don't think if I'm him, I'm going to opt out because I'm on a team that has world series aspirations. And if I opt out a team that might pay me might be a team that's further away from a championship than what the Cardinals are right now. I agree. I don't think there's, I don't think the odds went up. I think I think he cares more about winning than he does about getting paid. And I think as long as the Cardinals are winning this season, there will be no, and I guess next season too, there will be no concerns of him opting out of his contract. I tend to agree with both of you. I I don't think this changes anything for him. Now, if we see the shortstop market next offseason and it explodes and you've got Francisco Lindor getting $30-plus million per year, Javi Baez, um, Corey Seager, you see Carlos Correa get paid at a really high level. If all of those dudes end up getting 30 plus million dollars per year, maybe then the following year, if things do not go as he expected here in St. Louis, maybe then you have some concerns. But I think that the risk is minimal here for the Cardinals. Last thing to pass along. This comes from Field Yates. This is a amazing statistic. Now that Carson Wentz has been traded, There is not a single quarterback drafted in the first round between 2009 and 2016 that is still with his original team. Yeah. That's amazing. Look at how many names are retired. 22. Look at how many names are retired on there, BK. Stafford is now with the Rams. Uh, Josh Freeman, who I thought was going to be good, is retired. Sam Bradford is retired. Jake Locker retired. Mark Sanchez. Andrew Luck. Brandon Whedon. EJ Manuel. Wow. This is a list of some really bad quarterbacks. (laughs) This is a zero out of 22 between 2009 and 2016. I wonder what the lesson is there because you had that generation from like 01 to 2006 where you had a lot of quarterbacks that hit in the first round. In the last few years, I think we've seen quite a few guys hit. This is amazing. Zero is it, out of 22 is it the fact guys. that mobile quarterbacks now are the, are the thing? Because all of those names that you just mentioned are very stationary stand-up quarterbacks under center rather than the Lamar Jacksons, the Deshaun Watsons, the Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Like, that's what we're getting now in the league. It's a good point. I, I was going to say, that is a really good point. I think we're seeing the NFL kind of transition kind of towards that college game of it being wide open. Everybody can run with great speed. What are you most confident in 
about the Cardinals in 2021. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. I want to hear from you. If you've got a Rhino Shield mic drop that you want to leave on this as well, we can do those coming up next. There's one thing in particular that I can pinpoint that I am more confident in than anything else. I'll tell you what that is coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. You're going to tell me the Cardinals have one of the best three bullpens in baseball. I could see it. If you're going to tell me that they're going to have a bullpen that is their biggest cause for concern at the trade deadline, I could also see that. And I should add here that that's probably not terribly surprising uh, with respect to almost every other team in the majors, maybe with the exception of the Padres and Dodgers, because a lot of relievers through probably – 25 innings last year and up and down the the list of bullpen options because of where we were with a 60-game season. So I think that this is the the year where we're going to see a lot more variability with respect to the bullpen. That was John Morosi on the show yesterday talking about the Cardinals' bullpen, and he wouldn't be surprised if that is a need at the trade deadline. Alex, I'm not like overly confident in saying a lot of things about the Cardinals this year. I think they're going to be pretty good, but there there are very few things that I'm like definitively saying, I know this is exactly how this is going to go. The thing that I am the most confident about, though, is their bullpen. And it's as much about the strength and numbers as it is about any individual performer. I'm not sure there's a team in baseball that has more options that are seemingly really good options in the bullpen than the Cardinals going into this upcoming year. Any of like 15 arms could come out of there, and I feel pretty confident that they're going to get the job done. So I respect the hell out of John Morosi. I think he does a great job for MLB Network. But when he said that yesterday, I was stunned that that was the takeaway because I... If, if ever there was anything I'm confident in, it's this bullpen. Yeah, and I mean, I, look, I'm confident in the pitching staff in a whole, but the question marks still remain on the rotation of who takes over that fifth spot. And, and listening to Mike Schilt kind of address the media this morning out at spring training, it gave me more confidence because you have a lot of guys that can do dual options for you. You have a lot of guys who can start, who can give you long-term innings out of the bullpen or close things out for you. And I mean, look, if you just list the names right now, I have five guys that I have the utmost confidence in in whatever role that's going to be with Giovanni Gallegos, with Ryan Helsley, with John Gant, with Alex Reyes, with Carlos Martinez. I have confidence in those players coming out of the bullpen. So this, in my opinion, is the strength, not just for the Cardinals, but it's for the, it's the strength of the Cardinals in the National League this season because I don't know how many bullpens can compete with what the Cardinals have in terms of depth. None. Zero. Yeah. Zilch. That, that that's how many I mean you might have some that have better back-end options there's better other teams will have better closing options or a better high leverage eighth inning uh, Devin Williams like the the Brewers might have a better one-two punch at the back end of their pen than anything the Cardinals have and the Dodgers got Liam Hendricks this offseason and with Kenley Jansen and Joe Kelly it's still there but I'm still more confident in the depth of this Cardinals bullpen absolutely and so there there are teams that I have superb confidence in the back end of their pen. Mm -hmm. Nobody else do I feel like the underbelly of their bullpen, the guys that you're going to get to if your starter goes four or five innings and you've got to find that bridge between the sixth and the ninth. 
I, I have more confidence in the Cardinals' ability to do that than any other team in baseball. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Also, the Rhino Shield mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. I would be curious for the listeners, what is the thing that they are the most confident in for this Cardinals team? Because for me, it is the bullpen. Alex, for you, is it is it the bullpen as well? Is there yeah. something else that you are like, that is the thing that I am the most confident about saying going into this I season? I don't know if you could consider it an area like you do with the bullpen, but I would say the defense of this Cardinals team. I have the sure utmost confidence yep. in that just as much as I do the bullpen because not just the corner uh, positions with Goldschmidt and Arenado, but that outfield with the speed that you have, there's no liability anymore. Um, the middle of the infield, I think Tommy Edmonds going to be great in him with Yachty back. So I would put it as a 1A, 1B for me in terms of utmost confidence. It's the bullpen in terms of depth, and it's the defense of this team. Earlier today, Mike Schilt did talk with reporters out at spring training, and you mentioned he, he, he talked about the depth that they have. He was specifically asked about Alex Reyes, Genesis Cabrera, John Gant, three guys that could be those swing players in the rotation, maybe, or in the bullpen. Here's what Mike Schilt had to say about those three in particular. From there, Alex will be given an opportunity to look at the starting up chance, but again, we talked about his innings and how that can be a issue moving forward for for the season that we anticipate to have uh, for the length of it. You know, John Gant, some more deal, be getting a little more touches, stretched out a little bit. We can build them up and then transition if we if it ends up being the case um, to where they go to the bullpen, it's an easier transition to ramp them up later in camp. Where he started there with Alex Reyes, Alex, is uh, is interesting to me because it sure sounded like a guy who doesn't have expectations of Alex Reyes being in the rotation to start the year. Now, maybe he gets there. Maybe we get to July. The Cardinals have had a couple of injuries, and Alex Re- Reyes is getting some spot starts. Based on those comments, though, I do not think that's what the Cardinals' plan is. Plans go awry, things change. But the plan right now, in my opinion, is for Alex Reyes to be in the bullpen going into the season. Yeah, because, you know, the one name he didn't mention when he's talking about those swingmen, Carlos Martinez. Mm-hmm. And T-Bone is already throwing things at the wall when I say that. But in all honesty... Him and everybody else in our listening exactly. audience right now. <laughs> in all honesty, you have a, a shortened spring training this year. It's not like it usually is. I think I heard Danny Max say earlier today that you're taking basically like 20-something innings out of what they usually have. So you kind of have to go into this spring training under the assumption of what your rotation is and somebody takes you another direction. So at least from hearing Mike Schultz say that, I mean, that's three of the guys that we all assumed was going to be in the contest for that rotation with the exception of Henesis Cabrera. Gant and Reyes were going to be fighting for that spot. So at least hearing that, I don't see Reyes starting in that rotation. I Same with John Gant. I see those guys as the bullpen with the option of the piggyback if we need. Carlos Martinez being that fifth guy. And I know sometimes it can feel like we're hyping some of these guys up more locally than what you hear nationally. Alex Reyes is not one of those players. No, I was reading Jeff Passan last night over on ESPN.com, and he was talking about the five potential breakout pitchers for 2021. This is in all of baseball, not a Cardinal specific piece. Jeff Passan wrote once upon a time, he was a top five prospect in all of baseball. If he can stay healthy, he will dominate regardless of his role. Such is the case when you've got a curveball curveball rather with nearly 11 inches of vertical movement compared to average a number second in baseball only to Trevor Bauer end quote again wow. that came from Jeff Passan of ESPN.com he's listing Alex Reyes as one of the potential top five breakout pitchers for 2021 so this is not just a local thing you're seeing this nationally as well everybody is getting in on the Alex Reyes hype train right now. 
We asked you guys for your Rhino Shield mic drops. Who are you most confident in? What are you most confident in about this Cardinals team in 2021? Let's start with Michael. Boys, the most confidence I have is going to be with Mike Schilt. After watching him manage the season he had to manage last year with all the COVID situations that went on, I've got 100% faith that this man can manage any situation thrown his way. I'm 100% confident in Mike Schilt and, quite frankly, the lineup now. Yeah, I I mean, the lineup is giving people a lot of confidence, and I think that's just... Part of me wonders if that's the um, the 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 shield that is Nolan Arenado of oh sure. man you got this guy it's like a honeymoon phase right now for the offense but he's right like you have to be confident in this lineup now because you have that threat in the it's, three four spot it's the thing I'm the least confident in uh, of anything yeah. on this team that's that's where my confidence is leaking more right. so than anywhere else just because it has the most questions uh-huh. with the fewest answers but he's also correct on Mike Schilt and that's, that's the part that gets me and and frankly I'd throw Mike Maddox's name into this as well because Mike Maddox has managed this pitching staff as best as anybody could. I mean, you got to go back to when they were basically a major league baseball career high in terms of ERA. And I think that was Derek Lilliquist, if I'm not mistaken, as a pitching coach at the time. But Mike, Mike Maddox has given me the utmost confidence and Mike Schilt as well. He knows these guys. He's a baseball nut. He knows how to go about this. He's managed a lot of these guys in the minors. If I'm putting my faith into something, it's Mike Schilt. Yeah, let's go out to Janet. Rhino Shield mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. What is she most confident in for this Cardinals team in 2021? I'm most confident in our closer position with Hicks coming back. And also with our defense, we've got a great defense coming back. Those are my two things that I'm the most confident in. Are you more confident in the closer situation right now or the bullpen as a whole? Because I'm more confident in the bullpen as a whole than the closer situation specifically. Especially after especially after hearing them talk about Jordan Hicks of there's going to be limitations on him. I don't know if I'm confident in the closer because I don't know who the closer is. If it's a closer by committee, that puts me in the same situation of being confident in the bullpen. But the closer position in itself I still have questions of who that is going to be until I see Jordan Hicks actually pitch. See, I feel confident with the closer's role. Just because I think whoever you put there, I mean, yeah, the bullpen as a whole, whoever you put there, I see you bug eyed. So, so, so when you hear Andrew no, Miller okay, is coming Miller, into the ninth. I don't feel bad with Miller. I think <sighs> Miller. Am I the only one that thinks Andrew Miller is going to be a liability on the mound as a closer? I think it's a fair, think it's a fair concern argument. to have for the Cardinals going into this upcoming year. He made me nervous last year. Uh, he got the job done more often than not, though. So yep. my concerns were not fulfilled. He ended up being perfectly fine for them. But yeah, I think some of the underlying numbers, it, there's reason for pessimism there if you want to be. If you can survive Carlos Martinez closing, you can survive Andrew Miller closing. Because That's Carlos not, that made, is not true. Carlos Martinez made every outing in the ninth inning really nerve-wracking. And Miller, if you, I would be more concerned with Seymour closing than I would be Andrew Miller. I don't know what the number is, but the difference for me between those two is blown saves. When Carlos made us nervous, he still got <laughs> out of those innings. Miller blown or blew some saves for the Cardinals. Yeah, I, I, the, to clarify what I meant there, I'm, I have more confidence in the bullpen as a whole because I, I think that they're going to be really, really good. Right. It's not that I'm worried about the closer situation. I just have less specific confidence in that than I do that the bullpen as a whole is going to be fantastic this year. I agree so I think with they're going to be fine there, but I think there's going to be maybe a little bit more up and down with the closer situation. I agree with you, and it's really, really exciting as a Cardinals fan to know that you have this much confidence in the bullpen because what's postseason baseball come down to? 
bullpens now. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guys, I'm from the Show Me State. Still not confident about the, about the Cardinals, but the thing that I am the most confident in is that they're going to be more fun to watch this year than they have been in the past. Ding! That's really important, and that is absolutely something that I think you can count on going into this upcoming year. It's 12:15. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Joey Vitale is going to join us coming up next. Earlier today, if you missed it, we had a great conversation with Mike Kelly of NHL Network on what kind of players are in the same category as Jordan Cairo's production this year. He gave some unbelievable names. We'll give we'll get Joey Vitale's thoughts on that coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. We're talking blues hockey. It's the Joey Vitale Report on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by the Electrical Connection. When you need quality electrical work for your home or business, visit electricalconnection.org. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Happy to be joined by Joey Vitale, our blues analyst for 101 ESPN. On a game day, you'll hear blues versus sharks pregame coverage beginning at six o'clock right here on your home for the blues 101 ESPN. Joey, what's going on, man? How you doing? Game day, boys. Game day. Doing good. Well, we're thrilled to be able to hear you on the call tonight against a team not named the Coyotes. Joey, what are you, let, let's start kind of big picture here. What are you excited about from this series against the Sharks? Uh, I'm excited that the Blues are, are going to be first of all, like you said, facing a different opponent. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly uh, mentioned it to us this morning that there's a there's a fresh energy in the air. He said this morning in the locker room, coming to the rink, knowing you're not going to see Connor Garland or Big uh, <laughs> Kraus or or just you know you're not going to shoot against Antti Ranta or Darcy Kemper. It's just a different look, different preparation, different video. And it was really starting to get wearisome for a lot of these players, seeing a team seven times in a non-playoff situation, which was just completely bizarre. So I, I'm excited to see the Sharks here tonight. And I'm excited to see the Blues and how they handle that new opponent. And the fresh energy, I think, I think that this team's going to have a bit of a jolt in them again here tonight, coming back home, facing a Sharks team, uh, BK, that – they should have some success with. Uh, and I know this is a very talented group, but a team that's struggling to get points right now, they're one point on the last, and they don't have Eric Carlson. He looks like he's going to be out tonight with a kind of a lingering groin injury, it appears. So they're missing one of their best players. So I'm, I'm excited for the energy, and I'm excited because I think this is a, a huge potential push in the season as far as these next 10 games go where the Blues are facing these California teams, none of them which at the meantime are in a playoff spot. So a good, a good opportunity to grab some points here and create a little bit of a cushion as we head into March. Yeah, the cool part is that they're still within striking distance of Vegas right now because Vegas has had their struggles against Colorado. Joe, in terms of personnel-wise, we found out no Colton Pareko tonight, as Craig Bruby said. It's an opportunity to get this guy some rest. Um, what are your expectations, one, for the defense with Marco Scandella back? And, and this has to be a positive to at least give Pareko a couple of extra days off to try and get right. Well, I think they were looking for opportunities to give Pareko some rest, Alex, for a little while here. But it was always tough because with the postponements and the new scheduling, there were some back-to-backs in the mix as well. But now you look at the schedule that the Blues kind of have laid out. Uh, the back-to-back is the biggest area where you have to try to avoid when you're kind of looking for a player to get some rest 
with a lingering injury like the Blues have with Colton Pareko. But the next really back-to-back isn't until March 5th and 6th when they go to L.A. to face the Kings. So a really good opportunity for him to get sidelined, to get relatively healthy. I don't think that based off of this injury, what we've seen out of him all season long, this isn't something where Colton's going to sit out the next two and be 100% for the L.A. series come next Monday. I think this is going to be a situation where Colton's been playing probably around 70 to 75% all season long. And when he comes back, whether it be uh, two or three games down the road from now or even maybe the next one, he's going to come back and go from 70 maybe to 80 to 85. But I think just creating that little bit of a gap, that little bit of a push for him is really going to do him some good. I think also, you know, it's really going to help his confidence. You know, one thing that, you know, people tend to always forget when you're injured and you're nicked up like Colton is, you can play, right? So you're not hurt. You're, just, you're not injured. You're just hurt, right? You're hurting. You're, you're laboring something. But what happens is, yes, you're playing. And, yes, you're, you're doing good things to the team. But you're not quite yourself, right? Look what Connor Garland did to Colton Pareko about three or four games ago in St. Louis. He burned him wide, took it to the net for a nice goal, right? So that, that's something that Colton doesn't allow to happen. So if you keep playing Colton or you keep playing a player that's hurt, what's going to happen to their confidence is they're going to start to kind of fall off because they're not doing things uh, to the level that they're normally used to doing, and they're not having as much success. So you're getting Colton out. He's going to have a chance to give his body a little bit of rest, give his mind some rest. I think this could be a really good confidence boost for him. Talking to Joey Vitale, Blues analyst here on 101 ESPN. Joey, earlier today we had the opportunity to talk to Mike Kelly. He's a hockey analyst for NHL Network. And he gave us some numbers on what he's seen so far this year from Jordan Cairo. I mean, the company he's keeping in terms of some of the more advanced analytic stuff that I don't totally understand is is insane. I mean, he, he's up there with some of the top superstars in the league. What have you seen so far now? I mean, we're getting close to a third of the way through the season. What has impressed you about the way that Jordan Cairo is playing beyond just the obvious, which is the goals? Well, the thing that's impressed me the most is probably the consistency from which he's playing at. And and consistency and confidence are, are the two C's, I would call, you know, because he came out of the gates from the consistency standpoint, very, very hot. And you see this a lot with young players, the fresh season, uh, it takes a little bit of time for the cream to rise to the top for the Ryan O'Reilly's and the Braden Chens and Nathan McKinnon. Sometimes those veterans get off to slower starts, and that's where you can really exploit them uh, for having those young guys to really jump out to a great start, and that's what, that's what we saw. But then the consistency that he has gone from week to week where he really has not fallen off. Number one, that's, that impre- that's going to be impressive for me, for Jordan Cairo. Um, the other thing that really stands out about him uh, his compete and, and his ability and his confidence to stick with it in third periods. You look at the last couple, uh, not this past game, but the two before that, I'm looking at two games in Arizona where we did not notice Jordan Cairo in the first two periods of both of the game five and the game six in Arizona. And it was kind of one of those things where you thought, okay, a younger player, uh, rough first couple periods will probably fall off and do nothing. But he did quite the opposite. In game five there against Arizona, he exploded with some great speed, beat out an icing, holds on to the puck, sets up Justin Falk for a great goal in the third period. The very next game, I think it was a tie game at the time, he, he gets the go-ahead goal on the two-on-one there with David Perron. So his explosion in the third period is something that really stands out from a confidence standpoint because usually young guys, when they have a rough first couple periods, they do just kind of drift off and fall out of it. But his ability to change a game in the third period 
to me, that shows an exceptional amount of confidence. And also with the speed element that we all know so very well, and it's not going to surprise anyone anymore, but his speed in those games specifically is it's actually an interesting point of why he had success in the third period with their opponent being worn down for two straight periods for 40 minutes of hockey. They start, they start wearing down by the third, right? And that's when I think Jordan Cairo is really starting to exploit these teams by having really good third periods because he's got young, fresh legs, fast legs. And while your opponent's getting tired, that's when you can kick it in and the extra gear like we've seen him do in the third period. And that comes from the third and fourth line that creates that offensive zone time, Joe, and also wears down that defense with their hard forecheck and offensive zone pressure. I'm curious from those bottom two lines, because we've seen some new faces in there like Austin Pogansky, Mackenzie McEachern. Who's a guy that has stuck out to you that has been kind of thrown into that lineup but has performed well? I think Jacob Della Rose has done a very nice job over the last uh, stretch of games, four or five games since he's come in. You know, it's it's one thing to get into a fourth line, play a wing situation like Mackenzie McEachern or Austin Pagansky, relatively, um, relatively structured. You know, you know your positions. You can get in on the forecheck, keep an eye on your defenseman. But, but coming in and playing center is a very different beast because not only you have to be strong on faceoffs, you're the quarterback out there. you got to be giving direction to your wingers. There's a lot of responsibility in the D zone, and there's a lot of responsibility as far as shutting down some of these top lines like Jacob De La Rose has. I mean, look at the last three games in Arizona. Uh, Rick Tockett, of course, the home team, he got the last change. He threw his top group out there against Jacob De La Rose a lot. So Jacob's working on players like Connor Garland, Nick Schmaltz down low, these quick little forwards that are spinning out of checks. And Jacob's come in there, and he's done a great job, I think. He's added a speed element to the game. He's been good on draws. Craig Berube has used him late in games, you know, to not only kill penalties, but to close out wins. So to me, Jacob De La Rose is a player that often gets overlooked as a trade that the Blues lost by losing Robbie Fabry in that exchange to Detroit a couple of years ago. But now really looking at Jacob Della Rose, he's been a wonderful 13, I would call him a 13 forward for this head coach and Craig Berube, a coach that really has a lot of confidence knowing that you can put him out there in a lot of situations, especially in the D zone. And you know, and you trust that he's going to do a good job for you. Joey Vitale joining us for just another minute or so here on 101 ESPN. Joey, yesterday I was listening to Craig Berube with the fast lane and he was talking about the expectations that he had for Ivan Barbashev whenever he moved him up to that top line. And he, he mentioned how he had a conversation with Barbashev and told him specifically, Hey, this is exactly what I want from you. Online. I'm curious from a player's perspective, when you have a coach like Craig Berube who makes it very simple for you and tells you this is exactly what your role is, this is what I need from you to be successful, what does that do for you as a player? Well, it gives you confidence and it gives you security knowing that the message is simple and it was, it's, it's within your control and it's within your boundaries. You feel very good about going out there and doing that and knowing that what you do and what you bring is, is enough, right? I mean, a lot of coaches put um, I would call, I guess, expectations, or they would put um, a game plan for a player that's out of a player's control. It's out of their element a little bit. Maybe I'll give you an example. A lot of times young players that come into the league that are looking for that role, a lot of coaches, um, whether directly or indirectly, and I was a product of this at some point in my career, they, they will take you aside and, like, and hey, if you, if you can fight, if you can hit, if you can be a rat, if you can get on the skin, right? So, so they try to put a role upon a player where it's not natural for that player. So that's, that's a hard place to be for a player. And it actually happens quite a bit in the national hockey league, which is very unfortunate because coaches try to impose something else 
upon a player which is not natural. And, and two things uh, occur. First of all, they're never going to be what you need for the team, and then you're going to con- completely destroy the kid's career if he sticks with it. So uh, I don't look at that as, as a situation here because this is actually a, a good situation where Craig Berube has taken Ivan Barbashev aside and he said, this is what you're really good at, and guess what? This is exactly what the team and this line needs out of you, and it's all within your control. Ivan, if you go out there, play with pace, play with speed, because guess what? Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron, they're not the fastest guys in the league. We all know that. If you do that, if you can hound, if you can get on the forecheck, if you can get to the net, if you can slice through defenders and set up your butt right on that crease to be a good screen, to create space for Ryan O'Reilly and to allow them to be the second and third forwards in instead of the first or second, this is, this is something that the line can use. This is something that will benefit you individually. And at the end of the day, will help the team. And I think that's what Craig Berube has done with Ivan. He's done it with a lot of players and a lot of lines specifically throughout his tenure here in St. Louis. And remember, it was, it was Craig Berube taking Alexander Steen aside in December right when he got the job and said, Steener, I'm taking you off the second line. Our fourth line needs an identity. Go down there and do exactly what I'm telling you. And get these two guys and Sonny and Barbie, and your line could really take us far. And that's exactly what um, excuse me, Alexander Steen did. The message is simple. It's a good feeling for a player because it's when within their control and within their element. And Ivan Barbashev has done a fantastic job, not only giving that first line a boost, right? But I think that first line has given him a boost. I think mm-hmm. it's, it, it kind of goes back and forth, right? It's a good relationship to have. So Barbie's done a great job. We expect to see him there again tonight. And uh, it's been fun seeing a little rushing up there and, and moving his feet. <laughs> Joey, did you know that different shark species reproduce in different ways? Oh, um, woof, I didn't, but now you got me interested. Go. So I figured you probably needed some shark facts yeah. because, I mean, you, you were so focused, so honed in on coyotes over the last couple of weeks. I didn't know if you had time to be able to start your prep on, on sharks. That's just what we need for the broadcast tonight. Sharks reproducing. Yeah, and in multiple different ways, too. Depending on their species, some are egg-laying and others are live-bearing. So it depends on which species, but you have you have both options there. I also have found out that uh, sharks have the ability to go into a trance. Did you know that, Joey Vitale? Net alert! Net alert! Now, by trance, do you mean that... Is it, um, oh, is it, you know, they need to be able to, so sharks have to move to breathe. Is that sure. what you're talking about? Yeah. So uh, whenever, like, if you see scientists working on a shark in the water, you'll see them laying on their back and they look like they're completely immobile. It's because yeah. that shark has gone into a trance. It's called tonic yeah. immobility. And so yeah. you'll, you'll see them basically looking as if they're dead. They are very much alive, um, but they allow themselves to go into that mode. Hey, Joe, I'm looking it's at his like, web. I'm looking at his web browser. It's shark facts for kids. That's right. It's like hypnosis. And what they do is uh, if you get a shark up to your boat, I don't recommend this unless you're professional. <laughs> if you rub, if you rub underneath their nose, it actually hypnotizes them and they fall over. They come up like a German shepherd. They kind of roll over and kind of scratch their belly, but they will do that. Uh, sharks are amazing. Because they don't have any bones, and they, they cannot breathe unless they're moving. Okay, so their gills don't work unless they're moving. Some fish actually can sit still and still breathe. Sharks have to keep moving. Okay, so you're probably asking yourself, when do they sleep if they're always moving? Well, sharks are one of the most intelligent animals in the world, obviously, because they're still here. Mm-hmm. Um, they find a current. They'll sit in a current, and they actually can just wave and like move their body while they're stationary, almost thinking like a treadmill. And then so oxygen and fresh water is constantly being fed into their gills so they can survive. Another thing, hammerhead sharks. People think hammerhead sharks are named hammerhead sharks because it looks like their heads were smashed by a hammer. But it's not. It's because on each side, it kind of looks uh, the appeal of a hammer on each side. So there you go.
Joey, I knew you'd come through with some shark facts for us. Wait for the broadcast tonight. <laughs> Fully looking you know forward what? to that. This, this was a this was a very poor interview, and I'm going to tell you why. Because you should have started with this. <laughs> and you should have talked about sharks for 20 minutes, and now I'm crunched for time, and I got all this shark knowledge that I'm going to bring to the broadcast tonight. Joey, you got have three all these hours tonight. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I'm hoping for a, I'm hoping for a kick butt effort out of the Blues where we blow these guys away and it's getting boring in the third. Shark mating in the third. I'm looking forward to it. Joey, that is coming up at 7 o'clock for the puck drop. We've got pregame coverage with Alex Ferrario coming up at 6. Looking forward to that tonight. All the best to you, man. We'll talk with you again soon. Thanks, boys. Have a great week. Absolutely. Same to you. That is Joey Vitale joining us here on 101 At least he's ESPN. honest. He told us that it was a poor interview. I mean, hey, he, he keeps it real yeah. uh, each and every time. He's to told know. me, hey, BK, sometimes you remind me of Donald Trump. He told me That's that that was a poor interview. I get true. it. It happens to the best of us. Coming up next, a very important moment in the history of this show. It has to be done. The eulogy for the one and only Brad Miller, a.k.a. Milzy. Is coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. So you know it's there's been a lot of snow in the forecast here in St. Louis in in recent days. Well, it's even worse up in New Jersey. Now, if you remember, as we got early into the winter, there was a gentleman that instead of shoveling his driveway, he decided to use a flamethrower to not a bad idea. Shovel the driveway takes less time. We talked about that. Then Uh, there's a new story that has been updated up in New Jersey. This is not a flamethrower. It has a little bit of a similarity, though, according to uh, new NJ.com. NJ Advanced Media, there's a gentleman that went to his backyard, and in order to get rid of some of the snow, he had a two-foot by two-foot square section in his backyard that he prepared. He poured, he dumped gasoline on the ground. Great start. Decided, you know what? This is the way that I'm going to shovel now. I'm just going to go ahead and pour this gasoline out, light a match, go ahead and see what happens from here. Yeah, of course. He did exactly that. Uh, a neighbor called the police after smelling oh. something that was burning around 7.35 that evening. Great. Neighbor's now, a buzzkill. As far as I can tell, nothing tragic took place. <laughs> um, oh, so it was burning snow he smelled? I will say this. I wonder if this would work on your driveway. Now, this gentleman tried to do it in the backyard, which is a bold strategy considering I'm guessing there was grass, which probably would burn was moving there, towards the house. Wouldn't it be dead grass? Potentially, but grass is grass. Um, On your driveway, I do wonder if maybe something like this, there's a little something here, but I would not recommend it. I wouldn't try it unless you've got a professional with you. Yeah, just go for it. Why hasn't anybody tried to like pour urine on the snow? What? Like, wouldn't that melt it away? How much urine? urine? How much urine do you need to, like, our driveways from this last snowstorm? Well, how many people live in your house, Tanner? Speaking, Speaking of that, so I have speaking of what urine or <laughs> urine? Oh, okay. Ooh. I have a seven pound dog. She's a little Maltese Shih Tzu mix. She's tiny. She's an ankle biter. I get it. Not surprising to anybody on our audience. Um, she is a little, you know what, when it comes to going out in the snow. A little diva. Alex, I have to force her outside. Like I have, we have shoveled her a spot yep. to go out on the patio 
And instead of going into the yard, she refuses, refuses to go into the yard. She is now pooping and peeing right outside the door. She like steps outside, does her business, come back, comes back inside. We have stains now in the snow because my dog, Belle, yeah. will not go into this snow. It's ridiculous. Well, welcome to my world because I'm right there with you. I have a five-pound little shorky that is the exact same, and I have not only shoveled her a little area, I have shoveled the entire patio for her to just go out and urinate, and this is a big patio. But instead, she looks at us and growls, and then we'll go downstairs and take a dump in the basement. Are you serious? Yeah. So we haven't gotten there yet. We, well, we'll I, just thank wait. God, fingers crossed, hopefully we don't get there. But we have not experienced that part of it yeah. just yet. Yeah. Well, she's gotten to the point where you basically have to throw her outside, <laughs> and then she runs back in. And then the big F you, she'll growl, go to the basement, drop a dump. That Pretty much. At least she's only five pounds, so it's that's true. The, 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 yeah, that's very true. Speaking of experience, my junk drawer is an experience that I just went through yesterday. As we all know, and I know it sounds so annoying by this time, I have a kid on the way. I put the car seat in the other night, and this is the first time that I have gotten to the car seat stage of being a father because you have to have that ready when you go to the hospital. BK, I don't know if you've ever put this together. I'm assuming not because you'd have somebody do this for you. I got to the point where I almost chucked this car seat base into the driveway because I told my wife, I said, I am not spending one more damn second trying to attach this thing in the back Isn't seat of a easy? car. Don't you just like you lock it in? That's what I thought. You put the seatbelt through and you're good to go. That's, right? what, that's what I thought. But you got to put the seatbelt through. You have to clip it on. Then you got to go through another loop and you have to flip it backwards. You have like 15 stages to put a base of a car seat in and it has to be level, which I never knew this was a thing. Your base has to be level level and my car seats like most do they recline a little bit so you have to like put like some pool noodle underneath <laughs> it to, oh man i got so ticked off the other Couldn't day you use, use like some towels or well, blankets or something like what that i thought but i'm putting four towels underneath <laughs> and it's not leveling it enough so i went to the pool noodle told my wife i said never again am i doing this and then she's like oh well we got to take it up to is the it, fire is a pool noodle safe under there, yeah, it's, just, it's just foam. Well, it feels on, like it would roll. No, it's it's on the back part of the base, so it's okay. against the seat with the seat on top of it. And apparently, you have to take these to the fire station now to get them checked because your, your car seat. Yeah, some hospitals require you to have a sign off from a fire station that it was checked. So not only did I have to sit there and cuss at a car seat in my garage. Now I got to go take it to a fire station and probably them take it apart and tell me how I was doing it uh, wrong. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line. I've got bad news for you, Alex. What? Apparently you could have just gone to the fire station and they would literally do it all for you. Get out of here! <laughs> so. <laughs> what? It sounds like you're correct that you go there to get it checked out, but they also will do it for you. <laughs> Hey, now you know. And somebody just said, I hate to break it to you, but want the kid in there, it's going to alter the levelness of it. Damn it! <laughs> no! So you, how much time did you waste on that yesterday? 45 minutes! Are you serious? Yes! I was in my garage, and my wife, Katie, she walks out, she goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm trying to put this car seat in. She's like, well, there's a manual. That's the other frustrating part. When you're trying to put something together, and you've read through the manual, and it doesn't work, and Alex. then they say, hey, there's a manual. I've done the manual, and it doesn't work. Did you? I was about to say, did you really did read you? the manual? I looked at the first two pages <laughs> yeah. of yeah. it. Okay. I know how this goes. I've tried to put stuff together before. Once you once you get started, you're like, oh, this is easy. I'm good. I, I go through the first two pages, and then I end up with like uh, something from Ikea where one of the legs for the table is going one way, the other one's going the other way, and it's it's just a mess. It's just an absolute mess. 
Just saying. This is I would very recommend going to the fire uh, fire station today. Get that taken care of, and you're good to go, man. 71636 shouts out vasectomy gang for the win. No, I'm not to that point yet. This is the first one. I know I'm going to love it, but I'm not going to love that damn car seat. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, yesterday we talked about Jordan Bennington and whether or not it is hit him re-signed long-term. Well, Jeremy Rutherford talks to the man uh, who could get that done, Doug Armstrong, about Bennington's contract situation. We'll tell you what he had to say about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. The cost that I heard from a couple sources uh, yesterday, six million, six and a half million, somewhere in there. And the term could be about five to to seven years for Jordan Bennington. So is that going to be enough for Jordan Bennington? I don't know. He bet on himself. He won the bet. He's going to get paid. Will the Blues be willing to pay for a number one? But they honestly don't have a choice because there's just nothing in the cupboard. That was Jeremy Rutherford on with Carriker and Smallman earlier today. If you missed it, check it out on the podcast page. It is presented by I Promise. Jordan Bennington has been a topic of conversation the last few days for a reason. He's been fantastic so far this year, especially at five-on-five ice time. He's been one of the better goalies in all of hockey. And it's just confirmation for all of us that Jordan Bennington is the guy. He is your franchise goalie, and he should be here long-term. And so the questions have come up. Is it time to start talking extension with Jordan Bennington? Well, Jeremy Rutherford was able to catch up with the Blues general manager, Doug Armstrong, for a piece he has over on The Athletic. Here's the quote from Doug Armstrong on this situation. Quote, Bennington bet on himself, and he's going to get paid like those guys expect to be paid, and he will get paid like the guys that have had success. I think around the league he's looked at as a good number one, and that's the way we look at him as well. I'm trying to get better. I feel good. I've been doing a lot of, oh, that's from Bennington. So, yeah. Um, (laughs) Basically, Doug Armstrong is saying he knows exactly what this is going to take. He knows it's going to be pretty expensive. He knows that they have to get him locked up long term. And the comparisons are, I mean, it's pretty easy. It's Markstrom. Mm -hmm. that's That's the starting point for Jordan Bennington. Markstrom got six years, $36 million. Anything surprise you about that comment from from Doug Armstrong and the fact that it sounds like the Blues kind of know where this is going? No, not at all. Because, again, there's no – I loved Doug Armstrong's quote to JR saying that if it's not Bennington, you're going into the market and you're searching for a guy who can play with Ville Husso because Husso doesn't have enough uh, time under his belt to be a goaltender. And I went back and looked last night, BK, of what the other goaltenders that will be free agents at the time because this past season was a big market for goaltenders. This one, I could argue it's still a big market, but it's not as big as what it was. So here are the names that will be hitting free agency with Jordan yeah. Bennington. Tuka Rask from the Boston Bruins. The only problem with Tuka Rask is he's older and he has talked about how he doesn't know how much more time he wants in the NHL. 34 years old. He opted out of last year in the bubble. Correct. The other one is Philip Grubauer who is playing like a number one goaltender for the Colorado Avalanche. My guess is that Colorado locks him up kind of like what the Blues will be doing with Jordan Bennington. Frederick Anderson is another name with the Toronto Maple Leafs. He's pretty much kind of out there of do you re-sign him or not. And then there's Yaroslav Halak, former Blue Backup goaltender hasn't really shown to be the number one guy. So there's not options out there for you, which could be a good thing and a bad thing. A good thing for Jordan Bennington, because if he does decide to go to the market, he's going to be one of those top priority guys. Bad thing for the Blues, because you are going to have to make sure that he feels like he is paid justifiably so 
to keep him around. But Doug Armstrong, it's exactly what we expected him to say. You're going to lock him up. You know you have to lock him up. The starting point is Jacob Markstrom. But as we talked about with Jamie Rivers yesterday on the crossover, I think you're looking at Markstrom and $8 million as that that ceiling and $6 million per as the floor. It's going to be somewhere in that range. And I think Jordan Bennington understands that as well. I agree. I was a little excited yesterday when I said the $10 million. No, Jamie, Jamie, no, T-Bone, you here. were right. No, I wasn't. But yeah, I think it's going to be, like you said, the floor six, the top eight. Bennington's going to push for that $8 million, and I honestly think he will probably get it just because he has Armstrong basically pinned in these negotiations, in my, in my opinion. He can say, look, I can walk if you want, but I'm your best option. I'm your franchise goalie going forward. So that's why I think the $8 million, or 7 to 8 I think Bennington will get more than the 6 6.5, just because I do believe the Blues are kind of hand-tied. They don't really have that guy to replace Bennington if, if he doesn't re-sign, and I think he's going to be pushing for his terms. One other thing that's worth keeping an eye on is whether or not this happens in during the season or after the mm-hmm. year. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Jordan Bennington, especially with the way that he's played, just tells Doug Armstrong, hey, listen, I... I'm not signing this right now. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll take care of this in the offseason. And this is not to suggest that he doesn't want to be here, but he, he's bet on himself before, and it worked. He's betting on himself again right now, and again, it seems to be working out pretty well for him. So there's no need to see what can you get right now. Let's find out if this thing goes the way that it could for the Blues. If they go on a little bit of a run, especially in the playoffs, and Bennington plays well again, he could make himself another... $500,000 million on an annual value for his contracts, which ends up, if it's a six, seven year deal, that adds up pretty quickly. That's six, seven million dollars over the life of that contract that could be added if he continues playing well this year. So, uh, in, in Jeremy Rutherford's piece, he says that he's hearing from industry sources it could be between five and a half and six and a half million dollars per year and a contract's length of about five to seven seasons. If Bennington continues playing like this, I bet you it's closer to that six and a half, maybe even seven, and it's closer to the seven than it is the five years. I think seven, six to seven years makes sense, and I think you're looking at six to seven million per year. I would say somewhere around forty-two million total is what Bennington's going to wrap up forty-five yeah. at the at the peak. But the other thing, to your point, BK, and you make a good one. Keep in mind that his agent is Mike Liute, the former Blues goaltender, who is also Vladimir Tarasenko's agent. Sometimes that's the player's decision of not wanting to negotiate in season. Sometimes it's also the agent's recommendation, and they did the same thing with Vladimir Tarasenko of saying, hey, look, we're going to wait until the offseason, then we can focus on a contract. And I would imagine... If it goes to the offseason, Bennington and Armstrong aren't going to allow it to get to free agency. They're going to try and wrap that deal up before free agency starts because he does love being in St. Louis. It's 109. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. So Craig Berube had his chat with Chief yesterday on the fast lane. You'll hear him weekly. Uh, you heard him yesterday on the fast lane. And one of the quotes from him, I think, told us a lot about why he's had so much success as the head coach of the Blues. He was asked about, you know, what what he's seen from these new lines since they shook him up. And he talked specifically about Ivan Barbashev and what he's brought to that top line. I want to listen to this quote. We'll react to it on the other side. So when I, Barbashev, I was moving him up to uh, the line with O'Reilly and Perron, I basically said, listen, you need to go in there and create space for these guys in a four check, be physical, um, get them the puck, and you get to the net and do it. In, and that's got to be your game. It's got to be in north. You got to play a North game, 
and make sure you're getting on the forecheck. So that's that's going to make that line go, and he's done a good job of that. So I think each individual you gotta you gotta you know focus on what they have to do on that line for that line to be successful. Um, so I think each line's got their own identity a little bit. You know, we try to put a guy in there that's going to play to that identity, and that's why I put Shen with a Hoffman and Cairo. You know, it's more of a rush line. These guys can make plays off the rush, and they like to do that. I respect the way that he tells individuals exactly what their role is going to be. I don't need you, Ivan Barbashev, to go up to that top line and be something that you're not. Play your game. It doesn't matter if you're on the fourth line, the second line, or the first line. Whatever line you're on, you are a physical forechecker. You're going to provide space for the players that you're playing with. That's who you are as a player. Mm-hmm. Continue being that even if you're on the first line with Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron. That might sound like a little thing, but if you're a player hearing that from the guy that is determining where you are in the lineup, knowing that you don't have to try to o- overextend what you are as a player, that's got to be unbelievably calming to hear that going into any game. And I remember Scandella whenever he was first brought over. We talked with him at the time it was Rivs and BK, and he basically said, like, listen, when I got here, Craig Bruby told me exactly what I need to do. He told me, hey, l- listen, look at what Jay Bomeister did. That's your role. Nothing more, nothing less. That's the role that we want you to play here. And he fit in like a glove immediately. Mm-hmm. That is something, there, there is no tangible stat that can put that into the value of having that on your bench, but that's something Craig Bruby brings that is really, really special. From the moment Craig Bruby took over as head coach, the common denominator in that locker room was his communication skills with his players. And I remember talking to Braden Shen after Mike Yo was fired because Shen played with Craig in Philly when Craig was an assistant and then was a head coach for a little bit. And Shen said, he is the only guy that I have been around in the NHL that will be, that can pull a guy into a room, talk to him and be brutally honest. And the player walk out, feel better about himself. And that's huge because sometimes you have coaches, a John Tortorella is a great example. Now he is a little aggressive about it. Some players can't handle it, but the players that do buy in the difference though, is Craig Berube. We hear Craig Berube call out players. Mm -hmm. That's not him calling out players saying that they're terrible. That's him saying they're not playing their game. And when he's able to pull guys, it's what Joey said about Alexander Steen. You pull a guy in and you say, look, we need you to do this because this is what makes our team better. It's buy-in. He's done this with Ivan Barbashev. He's bought in. He's done this with David Perron. He's bought in. Shen, Schwartz, Jordan Cairo bought into this, which is why he's one of the best guys in the league right now, because he bought into what Craig Berube was saying. So it all comes down to buying in, and that goes back to the communication skills. you got to have a guy who can talk to your players, be brutally honest with your players, but you also have to have the right group that can take what he's saying and take it and not be offended by it, but to go out there and perform to the way they need to. I also think it's noteworthy that we're seeing Mike Hoffman seemingly buy in. Yeah. Now, is he your classic Blues-style player and that he's getting involved in the forecheck, super physical? No, he's never going to be that. Mike Hoffman is is who he is as a player, and he's adjusting. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a bend from both sides, right? The Blues are bending their system a little bit to be able to, to make him work with the blues and he's he's starting to bend a little bit towards what the blues do and you meet in the middle and that's how you find the role for him right he's starting to find that now we're starting to see the production take a little bit of a boost he's shooting more often he's finding his spots it seems like he's he's understanding a little bit more what is being asked of him so this is the kind of thing that when you bring in guys from the outside you need a coach like Barubi to be able to mix all of this stuff together to make it work 
And there are questions sometimes, is this going to work? Is this going to be the thing? It worked with Justin Falk. It took a little longer than we expected, but it ended up working. I think it's going to work with Tori Krug, and now we're seeing it with Ivan Barbashev, who's not from the outside. He's internal, but him going from a fourth-line player to a first-line player, you don't see that a whole lot, a, a whole lot. but it's been effective so and, far. And keep, got, keep an eye on a guy like Jacob De La Rose, who Joey mentioned has been playing great. The four games that he's played, he's not been scored on by the opposition when he's on the ice, which is important in itself because he's a fourth-line player. And keep an eye on Austin Pagansky. This is another guy that's thrown into, and he knows that he has to buy into the system of Craig Berube, and he's done that. So when guys perform at that level, that's why Craig Bruby doesn't change the lineup because that's where the effectiveness comes He's from. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. I want you guys to get involved in the Rhino Shield mic drop feature as well. Coming up next, would you sign up right now for Carlos Martinez to finish this season throwing 160 innings and giving you a 3-8 ERA? Carlos Martinez in 2021, would you hit the button right now to lock in 160 innings with a 3.8 ERA from Carlos? We'll give you our answers on that. We'll hear from you coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. It's probably asking a lot. For him to, to really get back to being that number one type arm, which is what he was for them back in 2017. Uh, but I, I think the Cardinals would probably settle for 80% of that, uh, and maybe even 70% of that. If Martinez gives the Cardinals 160 innings with maybe like a 3-8, 3-9 ERA, I think that's that's a very good year for him. Uh, I would say that the, that the Cardinals, if you, if you said that right now, they would take that, and I think that's probably about what the Cardinals could expect in a best-case scenario simply because he has not even thrown more than 50 innings in a season since 2018. So that was John Morosi with us yesterday. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. The Rhino Shield mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. I want to hear from the audience on this. Would you accept, would you hit the button to lock in what John Morosi proposed? 160 innings, a 3.8, 3.9 ERA from Carlos Martinez. That essentially means you're getting a legitimate starter who probably starts 25 to 30 games for you this year. So he stays healthy and he gives you solid production to give you an example of this. Lance Lynn back in 2012, it was his first full season with the Cardinals where he was. It was the first year where he started the majority of the games for them. He finished that year with 175 innings pitched and a 3.8 ERA. So you're basically looking at getting 2012 Lance Lynn production this season from Carlos Martinez. We'll hear from the audience here in just a minute. But Alex, if I told you today you can lock that in or you press your lock and find out what Carlos Martinez does, would you lock it in? Pressing that button right now, locking it in. I mean, are you kidding me? Of course I'm doing this. First of all, the Lance Lynn's comp's awesome, BK. The first thing I thought of when JP said that yesterday with us was Miles Michaelis in his first year with the Cardinals. Now, he pitched 200 innings, and his was a 2.8 ERA, but it was obvious that he was the number one slash number two pitcher for you. If you're giving me 160 innings and a 3.8 ERA for Carlos Martinez, that's a number three pitcher in my rotation, which 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 fills the hole of what we were wondering about. It, you no longer need a five-hole pitcher. You no longer sit there and have more expectation for Adam Wainwright than he might be able to deliver or Miles Michaelis or KK 
you have a guy that's filling the void of Dakota Hudson. You have a guy who makes jobs easier for Miles and KK and Wayno, and it makes your rotation better without any question mark. So I'm hitting that button now because that gives me a better shot at a World Series with Carlos like that. I'm going to hit the button, too. I'm going to hit the button, too. Why do you say it so half-heartedly? Yeah. I mean, I would definitely sign up for that, but I would much rather see one of the kids get a shot in the rotation. I really would. But I would tell you, if Seymour can do that, those kind of numbers, then yeah, I will sign up for it because, it, like you mentioned, it takes away some of the uncertainty that sits within the rotation. So yeah, if he's going to give me that, I would definitely sign up for it. But I have no faith that he's going to do that. But if, if, if we know that that's what he's going to be, then sure, I'm going to hit that button. Am I crazy if I wouldn't hit this button? Do you, do you guys think it's an absolutely insane thing for me to say that no, I, I might not? Because you think he could be better? I think so. I, I I think he has the potential to be better than 160 innings and a 3.8 ERA. It's really the ERA that I'm looking at more so than the innings. The innings, I, I think the Cardinals are fine from that perspective this year. Maybe that sounds weird to hear, but they they have so many options. I don't know that I would hit this button for him. I'm not looking at Carlos Martinez as being a sure thing number two starter. I think they've got a few different guys that could could maybe fill that role for them. I think I need better than a 380 RA out of him, though. I, I think he needs to be a guy that is 3-5, 3-2, somewhere around there, if he's at his best. Now, will he be that guy? I don't know. But I think I'm willing to press my luck that I can get better than this out of Carlos Martinez this season because it is a walk year for him, most likely. He has every incentive in the world to pitch the best that he ever has in the big leagues. I don't think he's the same dude that he once was. I don't think you're getting 2016 Carlos when he finished with 200 innings and a 3-0 ERA. I don't think that's on the table. That's a little low. But 205 innings, 3.6 from 2017. The innings are a little high. That 3-6 ERA, I think, is absolutely in play for him this year. That's the reason why I would hit that button, because of the uncertainty, because of the injury history, because kind of of the basket case that Carlos Martinez is when it comes to off-field, and frankly, because of the uncertainty with these other guys. Like, if Miles is the same guy that we had in his first year, then that makes things a little bit easier for Carlos Martinez. If KK's last year's KK, it makes things easier for Carlos Martinez. But I would be hitting that button because I don't know what he's going to be. And if you can give me a 3.8, I'm fine with that. Because so you're that more makes about it... the innings because it locks in that he's healthy. Because exactly. basically what you're saying there is Carlos makes... 25 plus starts yeah that, that's what it would take for him to get to 160 innings. and 3.8 with this offense keeps teams in in games I think rather than a guy who can't give me more than 100 innings and isn't a bullpen pitcher if he's like what last year was where every time he went out there it's seven runs in the first inning yeah, I can't have you it. can't have that yeah I think the innings is the thing that's what I would hit the button on just because I don't know if he ever could return to just what was your number three six I yeah, three don't, six, three five. Yeah, I don't think he can be a three five, three six pitcher anymore. I just don't think he has it in him. And I don't want to base it on potential or he has the potential to be this. I think what he is is he is a guy that is about a three eight to four ERA guy. I think the three eight I'm fine with. I can sit with that because he's going to be the fifth starter at least if everything goes to plan. He's the fifth. He's the fifth guy in the rotation. It's the innings where I want him to get to that that mark because I, innings are going to be super important this season as we already know. As a starter in his career, he has a 3.5 ERA in 730 innings. Now, I know a lot of that is skewed from his prime when he was one of the best young starters in all of baseball, but we've seen him do this before where he finishes the year. I mean, here's his starting pitching ERA when he was an everyday starter for the Cardinals. 
three zero in 2015, three zero in 2016, three point six in 2017, and then a three point four in 2018. We know last year went awry. The last two years he hasn't been healthy, so he hasn't been able to be in every game starter for them. But if you can get that same guy or something resembling that this year, I think I'm pressing my luck with Carlos Martinez. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. You can also uh, get involved via the Rhino Shield mic drop feature from the 314. Guys, I would definitely lock that in from Carlos, but I would even go a step further. I would say Carlos Martinez is likely to be the Cardinals comeback player of the year. I trust him more than I trust Michaelis. I believe Carlos can be a number two starter or a number three starter. Hmm. If you believe that he can be that, if you think he'll be the Cardinals comeback player of the year and you trust him more than Michaelis, I don't think you should lock in these numbers because if he's going to be the Cardinals comeback player of the year, he will perform better than this. He will be better than a 3-8 ERA in 160 innings. It would take more than that for me for him to get that kind of award. Would it be too much of a stretch to say if he is the comeback player of the year, he's probably your number two? Yeah, absolutely. If he's that guy, then do you bring Carlos Martinez back? Uh, no. I, I think this is this is the year you, you, you make it a clean break at the end of this season. And he, I would say no to that because he gets paid like he's your ace and he's not. That's why I would say no to it, too. I I just I I don't think that you can bring him back because there is no certainty of what he is in the future. I think you're going to get the best version of Carlos this year. It's kind of like Marcelo Zuna's walk year, right? Yeah. You got a pretty good season out of him and you move forward. And and you let him whatever's going to happen next, you let that happen elsewhere. I don't think that you want to sign up for multiple more years of Carlos Martinez. I don't think that's something that I would be in on. I would be curious though. One last thing to get into here before we're joined by Andrew Kisner, the Cardinals' backup catcher on the other side. There was a report yesterday that Albert Pujols is, quote, undecided on whether or not he's going to return for another season in 2022. This is last year this year with the Angels. This is his last season with them. Now he has the personal services contract. I don't know how that would work if he wanted to play another year elsewhere. If Pujols is solid this year, would you guys be interested in bringing him in in 2022 to be a designated hitter for the Cardinals? Yeah, without without question. I mean, I don't know what the money looks like. I think you have to make sure that it's less than $10 million. Oh, it would be for what he's been. Yeah, but if, with their with their DH next season and after having the Yachty and Wayno show this season, and they both may be back next year, but if not, I'd want a curtain call for an Albert Pujols in a season. So, yeah, I'm buying into this 100% right now. I would buy into it. I don't know what my limit would be on what kind of deal it would have to be. I think anything. Well, well let me ask you. What do you think you would sign him for? One year, how much? Five two mil. to three million. I was gonna say two to three be about my limit. Yeah, I'd I don't, say about I think, five or less. See, I wouldn't go up to five. If he's, if he's a perfectly suitable DH for you, I think I'd be fine with five because most DH guys are going to be paid Nelson Cruz numbers. That's the thing, though. I don't know if he could be still a suitable DH. That's why I'd go one year, two to three, just because you get the reunion to come back. Otherwise, I could just look internally for a DH. I probably, my guess is, I probably wouldn't bring him back. And I know that might upset some fans, but he's... I mean, over the last four years, he's been, thir- been great. he's been thirteen percent below league average, and you, you you've got better options. Better options are available out there on the open market every single season. What he is now, Albert, ten years ago, yeah, I'd pay that dude to come be my my designated hitter. No no doubt about it. 
but the current version of Albert, unless he has a bounce back season, in which case, okay, maybe then we could talk about it, but he would have to have a year like 2016 when he had 30 homers, 119 RBI and finished the year with a 780 OPS. That guy I'll pay. The guy that he's been the last four years, I don't think that's somebody that I'm interested in bringing in. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, what is life like right now down in Jupiter as pitchers and catchers have reported? Cardinals catcher Andrew Kisner is going to join the show coming up on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. The Chicago Cubs and the upcoming homestand. Here's Kisner. That's a drive, and that, folks, is a home run, his first in the big leagues. Andrew Kisner, his first in the major leagues, a two-run homer. And the Cardinals add on, it's now 5-2. That call, courtesy of Fox Sports Midwest, Andrew Kisner's first career home run back in 2019. Andrew Kisner, Cardinals catcher, joins us now via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, live from Jupiter. Andrew, appreciate the time, man. How are things going in sunny South Florida for you guys? Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. But uh, Florida's great. You can't beat this weather down here and baseball's starting back, so... It's a great time of year, and everybody's getting ready and excited for a new season. First off, Andrew, I appreciate you going soft with that comment because we still have snow here. It's still about 15 degrees, so thank you for easing into that when it comes to the weather down in Jupiter. But what's this been like, man, off season? I guess, of uncertainty, of unknowing when baseball was going to start, knowing what the season was going to look like, but to just have the opportunity to be down at training camp and know that the season is going to be starting on time. What's that feeling like for you, buddy? It's a great feeling. And like you said, there was a lot of uncertainty whether, you know, what the season was going to look like this year. But I'm glad it, it all was figured out for us. And it looks like we're going to have close to as a normal season as we can possibly have. So that's uh, that's looking really good for us. And like I said, everybody, all the players, coaches, staff, everybody's excited to get back out and, and get playing. We see it from the outside looking in. You lived it for a year and now you're about to do it again. What's it like to play baseball during a pandemic? Like what what is the day-to-day grind like for you guys? Well, I think I think the only thing that you really have to get used to is just the protocols and and that's mainly within the building, you know, wearing the mask, keeping socially distant, uh minimizing that was that was a, something really weird, but Overall, you know, it's the game of baseball between the white lines, and that's what we'd like to do. What about off the field? Because, like, right now, this should be the time when you guys are going golfing, when you guys are just hanging out whenever you're done with your practices. What What is spring training like when you can't actually gather outside of when you're out there on the fields? Yeah, it's definitely different. I think we're allowed to do outdoor activities, so I know some guys do go golf. Um, so as long as we're outside and spaced out, we're okay. Guys go to the pool and go to the beach. A lot of it revolves around not being able to go out to eat quite yet. I think March 1st is the first time you're able to go to a restaurant and sit outside and eat. Um, so that's, that's something that's a little different because I know there's a ton of good restaurants down here in South Florida and people like going out and you know, spending time with teammates and family, which they're not able to do right now. All right, Andrew, you brought up restaurants. Now, I had a buddy who, who's interviewed you in the past who works with the Cardinals, and he said that you were an absolute foodie. So I'm curious because you've touched on two great aspects of food when it comes to Memphis and their barbecue <laughs> and St. Louis when it comes to not just barbecue, but pretty much everything. Where are you at when it comes to St. Louis food compared to Memphis food? 
Oh man, that's a tough one. I, you know, it's I'd have to give the edge to St. Louis. I like uh, Salt and Smoke. I have memories there, going there after my debut with my family, um, which was a pretty cool experience and, and a great restaurant. What's your favorite barbecue in Memphis that you've had? Oh man, you know I can't. I I couldn't even tell you. There's a I can't remember the exact name, but it was on the corner, maybe Beale Street. Um, Talking about Rendezvous Cafe. Um, had some good good barbecue, good ribs there. Talking to Andrew Kisner, Cardinals catcher here on 101 ESPN. All right, Andrew, the the big question that I think a lot of Cardinals fans have for you is, what was the reaction when you heard that the Cardinals were bringing back Yadier Molina going into this season? We know he's he's a fantastic player, future Hall of Famer. But for you, I I would imagine it, it's a little bittersweet in some ways because if Yadier's gone, you are probably the everyday catcher for the Cardinals. What was what was that like for you whenever you found out that Yadier's going to be back next year? You know, I was excited to have him back. I think he's a he's a big part of this team, and um, you know, obviously being being in St. Louis for what his 18th season now, 17th, 18th season, he's a leader in the clubhouse, and he's somebody that I'm able to uh, bounce ideas, bounce questions back and forth. Um, somebody that'll help me out a lot. So, you know, I'm excited to have him back, and I know everybody on the team's excited to have him back because he's going to help this team win. And at the end of the day, that's what it's about. You know, Andrew, you have such an awesome opportunity to work with Yachty, and you've been in training camp and spring training with him in the past. To, to be able to bounce ideas off of a Hall of Famer like that, what do you try and take away from him, or what do you try and have him help you work on as a catcher to just pick his brain throughout those spring trainings? Everything. Yachty is very technical when it comes to the catching position as far as fundamentals. So just having him there when we're, we're doing skill work and drills to have him – to be able to watch me and I'm able to watch him. And then we're able to talk about, you know, little things about how to set up the right way. Should we turn the shoulders a little bit more? Should we go out and stick certain pitches? Just, just the technical aspect of catching. He's so good at, and he's so good at teaching. So um, that's something I really like just watching him and talking to him about. What about working with pitchers? Are you just amazed at how he has able to, to manage a pitching staff and know, know those guys better than frankly, they probably know themselves. Yeah, and I think a lot of that comes down to experience. Like I said, you know, you've been playing in the big leagues at the catching position for 17, 18 years. You have seen a lot of, you know, you've seen a lot. You've seen different pitchers. You've seen different situations. And and he's one of the best ever at being able to manage a game. So that's something that I, you know, targeted this offseason. I've been watching a lot of film to try to speed up my um, experience, so to say, um, on game management. And that's something that I definitely – We'll lean on him a lot during this year. What else are you working on in the offseason? I mean, going into spring training, what are, what are some of the other things that you were focused on this offseason? You know, baseball is a game. The thing I love about it is you can, never, you can never master the game of baseball when it comes to skills. So for me, I try to work on everything, and I just try to become the best version of myself, and that's just trying to improve just a little bit each day. That's how I try to attack that. Uh, one thing that I really try to work on this offseason more than anything is getting ahead with scouting other teams, writing up my reports, making sure that when we start game one of the season, I'm, I'm ready and I'm prepared.
Andrew, uh, I want to talk to you about another player that that made his comeback in the offseason, and that's Adam Wainwright. Uh, You've seen Waino now for some time, whether it's with the Cardinals organization or when he had to do a couple of rehab starts down in Memphis. And if I'm not mistaken, you caught Adam Wainwright in your first game, correct? Yes, I did. So what is it that uh, that you are, I, I, I guess for a lack of a better word, impressed about when it comes to Adam Wainwright and the longevity of his career? I mean, he just takes care of his body so well. That's allowed him to pitch for a long time in the big leagues. And one thing I have to give Wayno a lot of credit, he's talking about preparation. He's one of the most prepared. And in order to pitch in this game that long, you have to be prepared and you have to constantly be be changing and adjusting to the competition and the competition will adjust to you and he's able and he's smart enough to adjust back, especially now in the back half of his career, you know, he doesn't, you know, throw the 95, 96 that he used to. So he's uh, he's very good at um, knowing himself and knowing what he needs to do to get out. So I'm curious, that game that you caught for Wainwright, because if I remember correctly, that was an impressive performance by Wayno. What was that like for you behind the plate? Is he managing you as much as you're managing him on the mound? Oh, man, that was, that was an unbelievable game. That was a great experience for me. I and mean, something I'll never forget. But, you know, I talked to Wainwright before that game, and I told him, look, I'm here for you. Anything you need, I'm going to go with you. And, you know, I think we did a pretty good job both ways, kind of, you know, balancing it out. You know, I'm calling certain pitches that he's not used to, that he liked, and it and it worked for him. And, you know, obviously we're having good conversation in between innings, and it was just overall just a great performance by Wayno. Andrew Kisner, Cardinals catcher, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Andrew, the other thing I wanted to ask you about from the offseason, of course, is the big acquisition with Nolan Arenado coming in. Uh, outside looking in Cardinals fans. I can tell you from what we have seen are as about as excited about this move as anything that I've seen in recent memory. What was the reaction inside of that clubhouse for you? What, what, what how did you find out the news and what was your reaction whenever you found out Nolan Arenado is going to be a Cardinal? I think I saw it on Twitter first. If, if, <laughs> if I'm right about that, <laughs> Twitter seems to have all the information, of course, so, but um, you know, Looking at the team without Arenado, it's a very good team. Very good playoff team, a team that can make a run in the playoffs. But now with the acquisition of Arenado, you know, we're looking at a team, we're looking like a team that can make a serious run in the postseason. And I think his attitude, his work ethic, and and the type of person and player he is is really going to be great for the locker room and great for our team. Andrew, give me a give me a scouting report on this Cardinals roster. We talk all about it in St. Louis. In your opinion, what's the strength of this team going into the upcoming season? Well, I think if you look over the last, I mean, 10, 15 years of the Cardinals team, it's pitching. Pitching is has been dominant for the Cardinals, and, and I think that sticks true this year as well. I think we have a deep rotation, and I think our bullpen could be uh, one of the best in baseball with, with some of the young guys we have in there who throw the ball hard, have great breaking stuff, and really just the mindset of our staff as a as a whole staff, it just is, is attack mode, and I think that's something that's going to be really good for us this year. Who's a guy that you've caught that's impressed you, whether it be this spring or over the last year or calendar year or so that Cardinals fans might not know a lot about? Is there anybody that stood out to you? You know, it's hard to pick just one guy. Like I said, we have such a deep a deep pitching staff, and everybody's exciting. Everybody's really exciting. And, um, you know, 
there's there's just not one guy I can pick. Everybody's good and everybody's ready to go this year. All right, Andrew, I got to ask because we had a buddy of yours, uh, John Nagowski, or as we like to call him here on the station, the Nog Father. Um, give me your give me your thoughts on on John Nagowski because I think all of us here in St. Louis are excited to see what this guy can provide after watching his performance in Memphis for so many years. Well, I've been roommates with Nogo ever since he became a Cardinal, so he's uh, he's definitely one of my best friends in the entire organization, and I love playing in the playing in, on the same team that he's on. And usually we've hit back back to back in the lineup all the way through the minor league. So he's a guy that, and he's also a guy I played against in college. He was a Florida state guy and I went to NC state. So I've known Nogo for a long time. We go way back and, you know, his hit ability is, you know, some of the best I've seen His barrel to ball skill um, is, is top notch and defensively. That's one thing not a lot of people know. Everybody looks at his offensive numbers, which is which are outstanding. Not a lot of people know this guy is unbelievable in the field. Unbelievable. And uh, just an all-around, just a great player. Okay, so we're putting something together now, Andrew, of, uh, of we're going to call it Kiz and No-Go on the, on the radio station here at 101 ESPN. We're just going to get a radio show with you two for this upcoming season. I like it. Let's get it going. <laughs> Andrew, I'm curious because he mentioned, we talked with him earlier today, and he said he can play in the outfield. I We have only seen him play first here in St. Louis. Have you seen him play in the outfield, and what's that like? What's the scouting report on Nagowski out there? I've seen him a little bit in the outfield. I haven't seen him a ton. I've seen him, obviously, you know, in BP. He's a guy that has great work ethic. In BP, he's always out in the outfield taking fly balls, working on his routes, and it's something that, He's been working, really, he's been working in the outfield for a couple of years now, and I think he's just trying to do anything he can to get that opportunity to get out on the field and show his skills. And, um, you know, I think he, it's definitely a bat where you would you would want to find a spot for him in the lineup. He's Andrew Kisner, Cardinals catcher, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Andrew, all the best to you and the team this year, and best of luck getting through spring training. Stay healthy out there, man, and we'll talk with you again soon. Thanks so much for the time today. Thank you. I appreciate it. Absolutely. That is Andrew Kisner joining us here on 101 ESPN. I'm telling you, Kiz and the Nogfather, a hit weekly on BK and Ferrario. We'll talk about that with Jamie Rivers. We're crossing things over next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Close to home or close to work. For quality tires and expert auto service, you can always count on Dobbs. over with the fast lane if you missed anything from the show today 101 espn.com the free 101 espn app is where you find it it's all presented by i promise anthony stalter in studio what's going on what's up boys how we doing doing all right so let's i'm sure you guys are going to get into this much deeper coming up on the show today but what'd you think of the carson winch trade second round pick next year that can become a one if he's basically their starter this year and a third round pick this year would you make of it for the colts 
I love it. I love it for the Colts. I, I went on this rant yesterday. It's why they've been calling me Papa Wentz, because I've defended Carson Wentz. I've got the socks on right now that BT, BT got me for uh, Christmas. Oh, my God. Yeah. I didn't realize that you have during, actual socks. During the season, I, I kept I kept defending Carson Wentz, so BT sprung for some socks. That's tremendous. I don't see I don't see Carson Wentz as some damaged product. I don't think he's I don't think he's damaged goods. I think he's a he he is what he was a couple of years ago. Granted, he didn't play well, but the offensive line was shot for Philly. They didn't run the ball. I mean, Doug Doug Peterson, even when Miles Sanders had had good drives, good series, Doug Peterson would get away from the running game. He had zero weapons. The defense has steadily gotten worse since the Super Bowl. That team wasn't that good. Yet Carson Wentz was catching all the flack for it. Uh, you put him now. I think they're the team to beat in the AFC South. Oh wow. Tennessee Tennessee loses Arthur Smith, so we'll see how how Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry and the offense plays. They don't have any pass rushers. Houston obviously is a mess. I think and Jacksonville's obviously a rebuild project. So I think Indy Indy Indy's the team to beat. Now, as far as the compensation, clearly the Eagles were not getting what they were suggesting they were getting behind closed doors to the media. Like a week ago, there was a report, oh, blockbuster deal coming. Yeah, multiple first-round picks. That clearly came from the Eagles, yeah. who was trying to drum up interest, and nobody bought it. And I think when the, if I'm just kind of looking at this from the you know 500-foot view, I think that the Bears, as soon as they backed out, the Eagles went with the, bet, the next best offer, which was this second round and conditional third. I like it from Carson Wentz's perspective more than I like it from anybody else. The return is solid for the Eagles. If you were going to have to give him up, if, you, if this was done, this is a good return for him. You, yeah. If he stays healthy this year, you're going to get a first-round pick and you got a third-round pick. That's that's pretty darn good for a guy that you were done with in your organization. Now, you're eating $30 million this year. That's going to be a, a full-on rebuild going into 2021 for the Eagles, which is fine. Colts, I'm just not sure. I just don't know. That being said, if there's anywhere that Carson Wentz can regain his form, it's there. Great offensive line. Yep. A head coach that he has experience with that is a fantastic play caller. I think he's I think Frank Reich's really good. So if there's a place where it's going to work for him, it's there. I just still don't know if it's going to work out for him. If, if I was the Colts, I might have even gone with Darnold over him. And really? I'm not a Darnold guy. Wow. But given the not. price, given given his his current contract, it's super cheap compared to Carson Wentz. And given what you would have had to um, give in terms of compensation draft picks, I probably would have gone that route just to be able to see, is there, is there more here with Darnold? I just don't know with Wentz. Wow. I, I think after what we saw the last two years now, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of out on him. And it makes me sad to do so because you know I loved him. I, I loved him coming out of North Dakota State. I still I still feel like the guy can... can. I mean, he was he was an MVP I know. as he was diving into the end zone in L.A. the one year and shredded his knee. And again, the team has gotten worse. He's going to a better team. You mentioned the O-line. The defense is better in Indy. The, the play calling is there for Frank Reich. Frank Reich is a much better play caller than Doug, Doug Peterson. I think that Carson Wentz is going to rebound very quickly next year. You know year. how we said for Jeff Albert, this is the year that we're going to find out? Like, yeah. There are no more excuses. 100% agree. It's that way for Carson Wentz yes. now. The, the offensive line's there. The coach is there. You've got some pretty good weapons offensively. The running game is absolutely there. You've got everything you could possibly need. If you fail this year, if you don't live up to expectations Different now, story. 
it's over. I and agree. we can go ahead and put it to rest with Carson Wentz. I'll get rid of the socks, though. I'm sure there's more coming up today. What else do you guys have today on the Fast well, Lane? We're going to talk about the Cardinals pitching situation. Obviously, Al- Alex Reyes. Uh, you listen to Mike Schilt, and BT's got some good thoughts on this. It looks like he he's definitely going to be in the bullpen. All right, Carlos Martinez then. He's your fifth starter. We'll break down Carson Wentz, the trade. Jamie's got great stuff on the Blues. And we got to get into Fernando Tatis getting 14 Ooh, years boy. and you know, an ungodly amount of money. That's coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 right here on 101 ESPN. Mm. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast powered by I Promise.